And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. gentlemen to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Hey, there we are in living color. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, welcome again, everyone. Uh, this is from our radio and television studios in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania where we broadcast live each and every weeknight 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time on the Global Star Radio Network as well as BTR and of course uh, on YouTube live. Yes, we are in uh, living color. Don't adjust your sets. Yeah, we, it's, uh, it's fun to be here. Um, of course, we've got two different websites. I always, re- I, I just want to remind people, uh, because it's so important. We have news that matters on HagmanReport.com and then Hagman and Hagman for the show. So there you have it. Simple as that. Subscribe to our social networking feed and, uh, also subscribe to our YouTube channel that helps elevate our visibility. We've got a great show for you planned. Hey, 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 Joe's back. Junior's back. All right. Um, <laughs> see, he's been in and out of the office, uh, working on different things, but, uh, needing some of the nights free. And that's, uh, so, but, but glad I'm back. Uh, I'm Doug Hagman at the helm, of course, with Phone Investigator Joe Hagman together, something I like to call America's Premier Father Son Investigative Team. So, glad to be back with you. We got a great show lined up for you. The second half of this hour, uh, folks, I gotta tell you, there's, you know, that, that dust up over the intelligence. Alright? There's something behind that, that you, y'all need to know. And, uh, we're gonna be talking about that with Andrew Kerr. He has found some amazing information about that. And I, I must say that when I heard it, I had to really kind of hear it a couple of times and then really understand it. So, boy, tell everyone you know to listen to what Andrew Kerr has got to, got to say. This hour is going to be a critical hour. And um, it, it's so critical, as a matter of fact. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, news-breaking, news-breaking hour. And go to Andrew's website. The yep. citizensaudit.com pull up his latest article from yesterday yep. is fake intelligence influencing decision makers at the highest levels of government uh, a fantastic article that will be posted on Hagman Report here in just a few minutes but uh, cue that article up to follow along in segment number two with Andrew Kerr uh, right here yeah, exactly. and then uh, in hours two and three uh, author and radio show host and pastor Brandon House from worldviewweekend.com will be joining us to talk about a number of issues from current events to um, other things that he's been researching and working on. So it's going to be an information-packed show. Indeed, and, and I appreciate it. But, you know, yeah, John Rappaport's article on HagmanReport.com, definitely get into that. It's interesting because it gets into the, uh, uh, Joe, it gets into the the, the the precious metals, What what's expected, you know, None of this, none of this economic stuff that we're seeing is really true. So that's a very important thing that we need to kind of look at. Yeah, there's an article on, on Hagman Report from Stephen Manking. Yeah, Stephen. Uh, oh, great guy. Weekly update: Gold, silver, Bitcoin. Uh, this is an article from today, talking about the uh, what to expect in 2017 uh, from precious precious metals to uh, the different markets. Uh, 
and it's pretty uh, eye-opening what what he points out and he's taking uh, a little bit from other economists and what they're predicting uh, and one of the real interesting parts of this article I saw was how he talks about if gold was to be backing up all the uh, currency and debt in the world it would be it would have to be over $100,000 an ounce $100,000 if it was to be dollars, right um repackaged uh to back the current prices for all debt backed by gold would have to be over $100,000 now. And, and that's the thing, Just you know. That. Yeah, there's not enough gold, right? I mean, that that's there's not enough mine gold that that's above ground um or perhaps even below ground to cover the money that's in circulation. I I mean that, that that's probably a wrong way to describe it, Joe. What do you think? But but if the true value of gold were yeah, um, it, that we know that the uh, gold market has been, and the, the metals market in general have been uh, tremendously undervalued, and you know even the price of silver now it costs more to mine the silver than it does yeah. uh, than it, what it's worth right now per ounce, and um, I mean there's a lot of different tra- theories of thought out there of what's going to happen in 2017 and beyond with the economy. Some say that there's a you know another housing market and stock market bubble or reset that's coming. And when that happens, the prices of metals, such as silver, gold, platinum, increase tremendously. That's right. But history is not always an indicator of what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. So you just don't know. But the way things have been going, I mean, if you do look at history, like the Weimar Republic in Germany, um, at the end of World War One, you know, they were wheelbarrowing money to the stores <laughs> to buy bread, but, you know... 20 ounces of silver could buy a whole city block. Your grandmother used to talk, okay, my, my mom, your grandmother, your, used to talk about those days. Um, and she used to say, you know, one of these days, and, and I, I never really kind of, when I was young, I mean, young, young, I never really understood what she was saying. She said, one of these days, you're going to need a wheelbarrow to buy groceries. And I remember her telling me one time, and this is when I was really young, Joe. Uh, you, you, you didn't know your grandma. She passed away before you you, you were born. But I remember her telling me one time, she said, you know, one of these days in your lifetime, Doug, you're not going to be able to get out of the uh, out of the store without spending $50. Yeah. Try 150 today. Oh, you know, and it's crazy. It, yeah. And it's as we look at things and. When I'm, you know, folks, I'm troubled. I really am. I'm troubled because I, I did a video yesterday, and if if you don't mind um, going to our YouTube channel and taking a look at that video, and it's also uh, on Hagman Report. Yes, on HagmanReport.com. That's right. It, it's it's about it, it's about the, uh, the the tactics of of you know people attempting to silence the independent media, and and the reason I did it, the, the reason I I put it up. Yesterday, the reason I did it yesterday was because of that that boy, that um, that clock boy, uh, on the day before the uh, suit that his parents filed against uh, Glenn Beck, as well as uh, the Irving School District, <coughs> was dismissed with prejudice. But what I've been what I've been seeing across the landscape, and Joe, we were talking about this, and and Eric, we were talking about this. There are you know using the the the, the phrase fake news. Fake news has been equated now with uh, things that, well, fake news is what Andrew Kerr is going to be talking about. But but fake news is is uh, a big deal right now, and I think we need to. Do you see the video of Trump calling uh, the CNN reporter? Yeah, yeah. See, I thought that was good because um, 
how many people did? So, well, do, do, there's tell a, tell yeah, people about I think that. This, I saw this yesterday, but it's still trending on a lot of news sites today. Um, Trump was giving a press conference, or uh, there was he was speaking at the podium, and there was a bunch of reporters there, <laughs> and he got into an exchange with a reporter, and he's directing this other, I believe, female reporter to ask a question. But the CNN reporter, his name is Jack Abramoff, or yeah, something like Jack, that. I'll, or, I'll get his name. I got the article here saved. But um, the CNN reporter, who's pretty much dead ahead of him, um, you know, starts interrupting him and, and continuing to try to ask a question. And, and uh, I'm not paraphrasing, but Trump basically said, you know, you're, for, you know, we know your organization's terrible. You are, you know, fake news, and just really um, shut him down. And part of the audience, you know, you could hear him clapping and and you know saying yeah. And the guy put his head down and shook his head and sat down. But I think that was. Uh, it's pretty interesting to see a president, a president-elect, president in a few days, calling out a major news organization for what they really are. I thought that was really yeah. um, important because all this fake news <laughs> stuff is being lumped in on alternative media sites and internet, uh, main internet uh, publications, and it's just not true. You know, most of the independent and alternative journalism, uh, I believe, make sure that they are one step ahead of the mainstream media and one step ahead of making sure what they are reporting is true because they know what's at stake. They don't have the backing of these major corporation news outlets like Fox News, NBC, right. CBS. So, you know, it'd be like us putting out some kind of news that wasn't true on purpose, knowingly doing so. It's just not something that we, you, we you would, would never, do. You would never do that. Right. Because, because of the, not just the liability, but the reputation. And we take our reputation seriously. We take obviously the liability seriously. And you know, we do go through a lot, a lot to verify stories. Sometimes we get snuckered by, yep. uh, on occasion. More me than anybody else. I've read a few, um, oh yeah, satirical articles on, on the show and, but we've, we have to come right back and, and let people know, you know, once you find out the emails start coming in or you say something and, uh, but, but, but you know, I mean, th- those are really, th- those equate to r- relatively harmless issues. Um, the issues that really are, are not, uh, are, are, I mean, those are just, as right. you said, more satirical in nature and ultimately uh, harmless. But now this stuff with fake news about, um, and this is Trump dossier Trump. And, and BuzzFeed. Yeah. Fox News has an article, uh, why BuzzFeed's debacle damaged journalism and handed Trump a gift. <laughs> but I believe Andrew Kerr's article takes a different different approach, and we're going to hear from him in the next. Yeah, you, you and I spoke to Andrew uh, before the show, and and folks, there's a few different theories of thought, and you mentioned this during the call that um, I believe Trump is the one who, from what I what, from the whole body that I was reading about all this um, this fake intelligence report, uh, Trump and the different news places that didn't run the story and then the few that did that Trump had something to do with disseminating some of this information to see where the leaks were coming from you know I, I, and I don't think it's first. the biggest assault I don't think it's it's going to be I don't think they it's going to carry over to the censorship of alternative media sites unless they're caught in the act of doing or disseminating you know false stories or false reports on purpose I just don't see um, the mistake or purposeful uh, you, you don't see the fake stories. On, no, I don't. I don't no, as as equaling censorship across the board. But but what I do think is taking place here, and, and this is an assault on independent media. I, I think, folks, and, and Joe, uh, I just want to appeal to you. I, I really think things changed right before the election, uh, right around the time uh, when Comey announced about the 
right around October third. I'll just go. I'll go with October third. I think things when the when the WikiLeaks started releasing Podesta's emails, I think things changed in a very dark way. But here's here's the issue with with the with the uh, video that you you have to watch the video because um, this shows you how, for example. Uh, Glenn Beck, whether you like him or not, it doesn't matter. Back when he was talking about the, the clock boy, for example, just going back to that for a moment, um, the, the clock boy's parents, Ahmed Mohammed's parents, sued Beck, the uh, television station, the network, the school district, Irvin police, everyone that, you know, had a pulse, sued him for $15 million for defamation and for emotional distress and for all this. And, you know, it just it was ridiculous. And so you know, it was Monday that the judge ruled that uh, that it was a baseless, meritless suit. So Tuesday is when we got the, is when the news really hit. And then I did the, I did the, uh, I did the video based on the, uh, on that timing. And when, when I did that, when I was talking with other citizen journalists, Joe, this is something that we have to be careful or that we need to really warn everybody about is, the independent media, you and I, uh, Rick Wiles, right? Uh, True News. Uh, Just about anybody others, that's not a major in, news network on right. cable TV uh, uh, or a uh, publication yep. in a major city that's been around for hundreds of years. We're all under the we're all under this this uh, asymmetrical warfare. We're all we're all in the in, in the scope of of the people who want to shut us down. And I, Andrew Kerr's got some really important information about this, yeah. their tactics. And he talks about, you know, uh, people, different people and uh, organizations trolling the intelligence agencies like the CIA. Yeah. You remember we got a call um, and this caller laid out this real articulate plan of what was going to happen in the future and then all of a sudden the next day it shows up on like a uh, uh, U.S. Army uh, communications yep. thing where they laid out, and that, that that's kind of like what's happening with the CIA. We get a call maybe in 2012, 2013 mm-hmm. of a, a person in the military who had this information of, and he laid out point by point what's going to happen and where, like three different things. Well, the next day, there was an intelligence briefing of communications in some form of the military that sent out the details of the call, what the caller said, what he laid out, and how the information was you know disseminated and, and talked about. Which was kind of weird. I've never seen anything like that since, uh, at least not from our show. But th- that came into my mind when we were talking with Andrew earlier. Um, it, it, well, no, we do get off-air information, and uh, well, this was different. This was uh, that 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 was really strange. An army communication yep. or yep. intelligence agency communication purposely called our show, gave us false information, and then outlined it in a report and sent it out to other. Uh, agencies and, and branches of the military, and somehow we, that came back to us. I think it was posted on before its news back then. Uh, yeah. Also, the email yeah. was, and it was just very strange. Um, and I thought of that today when we were talking with Andrew. Well, and that's I want to go back yeah. and find that because uh, yeah. kind of give people an idea of of what can happen. Um, oh yeah, when you're listening to other people or getting information from other people, and I think it was more of a not a prediction thing, but people were. Um, calling in and explaining what they believe was going to happen in the near future, and somebody took advantage of that and used the opportunity to do some kind of military communication drill, and it was very strange. It, it, it was, uh, and I do remember that. We're going to have to dig that up, and, and because uh, the, to reverse engineer something like that would also give give light on what's taking place. Again, I, you know, here I am again talking about fake news and the importance of it, but I think that, that that's going to set the stage for 
as Trump gets in office and as he is um, uh, as he is fighting every step of the way that the the establishment and, and the people who are against him, uh, it's not going to be an easy easy road. And I do think that the attacks on the independent media are going to increase. Despite the fact that we have Trump in office, yeah, and maybe because we have Trump in office, no, it's it is because, and you have a whole left wing Democratic liberal, you know, uh, brain aneurysm going on, <laughs> and a lot of it is due to the, I believe, the control and uh, perception that they want the public to have about Trump. All these claims of, of racism and you know, um, sexual assaults and everything that they try to throw at Trump and accuse him of. Um, has come out to be false, but it creates a false perception uh, in people's minds that, you know, this is why people are scared. They believe what they hear, that, you know, he's a, a tyrant and, um, you know, he's going to, you know... Um, I mean, it's like um, when Obama was elected and all these people who were somewhat racist or maybe not racist in the sense, but not accepting the change were, were kind of scared right. uh, at what they saw and just on the perception of what they saw, not and there was enough to not like Obama about his policies and the people he was associated with, but they went on, you know, the merits of the of appearance and right. skin color for some to some degree. Um, it's the same thing's happening. Only this time, uh, it's a Republican who's in office, and now the uh, liberals seem to be scared, yeah. or at least appearing to be so. And I believe a lot of it's based on the media laying out a false perception of who Donald Trump really is. Not that he's yeah. a good person or a great person. Uh, that's yet to be seen as far as his presidency. But um, people are getting misleading information from the major news networks on purpose to create, you know, this this continued division in the country along political lines. Well, I just if we do nothing else from, from this point, I mean, if if we have if there's no other message that we could send, I mean, if this is my life, if I knew this was my last broadcast with respect to only the geopolitics, the practical, the physical. Um, stuff going on. I would just, I would just caution again, spiritual aside momentarily. Um, if somebody just asked me, okay, if this is your last broadcast about what you know, the landscape of the political and geopolitical stuff, I think the biggest thing that we need to watch out for as citizens in America and as citizens in the West, whether you live in, uh, or a Western country, it doesn't matter. I think what we have to watch out for is the things that you will never see coming that uh it, that almost sounds strange but but the the attacks are going to come from places that you never thought that they would come from and it, there's a reason for that because they're most effective of course that way but there's the, there's a control mechanism in there um if you if you it's it's just it, it's ridiculous but don't rest on the fact that Donald Trump's in office, because he's one man, change is not going to come from the top down. It's going to come from the bottom up. It's going to have to involve all of us. And Joe, I know that you know you've been working on some some good research materials, uh, research projects, as I have, we all have been. And um, uh, I think I think I think we're entering into a very dangerous time. Your thoughts, because we haven't talked much about the Trump. Well, you know, January twenty first, we, we, we got the inauguration. Yeah, uh, I was just talking with Eric before the show. Rosie O'Donnell has come out and says that uh, martial law should be implemented to prevent the inauguration of Trump. Well, that's a good Obama. idea. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is what it's coming down to. You know, these liberals and left leaning people, or especially celebrities in some cases, people that said they were going to move to Canada or Mexico if Trump was elected, um, are still here. You know, um, 
making comments and, and whatever you want to call it. Uh, but to, you know, it just shows their true colors, uh, what they're really like to the point where they want to implement, you know, military, um, having the military mm-hmm. patrol U.S. soil just to stop this man from becoming president. Uh, and Rosie O'Donnell and Donald Trump, Rosie O'Donnell and Trump have a history, uh, which is not, it's like oil and water. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know, but put them so same I can understand either. her having, you know, these, um, outrageous fantasies more so than other celebrities because they've in the past, uh, you know, 15 years ago and, and till now have bumped heads, uh, in the press and name called back and forth before Trump even was a politician or decided to run for president. But, um, there's a lot of people out there that, uh, just, they, they wanted you to accept Obama. They wanted you to vote for Hillary. But now that Trump's in, they can't accept it. Uh, and, Man, and you keep hearing the popular that, right? vote stuff. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton should be president because she won the popular vote. And, um, I don't know, you know, how much of this, you know, you got a lot of actors and, and, uh, Hollywood types coming out, you know, putting Trump down. And I don't, I wonder if how many of those are paid versus how many really feel that way and are saying that out of the, you know, their own feelings versus being told what to say. The, it's my understanding. And we, we should ask John about this because he's been around the actors and, and I've talked to a few. Um, I, I, I would, I don't dare name them, but, uh, who are, who are truly conservative. They just don't say anything. I mean, some, mm-hmm. there's two individuals I, I spoke to, both, uh, spoke with both males. Um, very, very conservative. And you'd know their names because. But you see how the celebrities who are, who are, um, conservative are branded in, in Hollywood. Yeah. They're made fun of constantly by anybody yeah. or anytime they're brought, it's brought up or their names are brought up. They're torn down. I mean, and, and people, uh, in Hollywood, especially the, the actors and whatnot, the people who are known, like you said, they won't come out and say that because you can l- literally make a list, maybe something this big of the actors who are conservative. Uh-huh. And if you watch any amount of TV, you'll, you'll catch a little hidden cues that they throw out there. Or, uh, they're made fun of and, and, you know, like Ted Nugent, or uh-huh. I mean, they're all branded as crazy and um, and insane. But uh, no, it's no. interesting to see there are some people in Hollywood that have come out in defense of Trump and have put down the um, the constant complaining and name calling of the left. And I believe, uh, I mean, I hope that after eight years of Obama and heightened race relations, heightened, uh, you know, economic problems, um, that there will be some sort of, uh, take it in a deep breath period, a relaxation, if you will, from all the tension that's been going on. But it's very possible that that won't happen just due to, uh, the way people feel about Trump, whether based on facts or not. Well, exactly. Yeah, and uh, again, I would just urge everyone, please, go to HagmanReport.com to take a look at some of the uh, articles. John Rappaport, Stephen Menking, uh, the guest contributors there. Also, Andrew Kerr, and he's coming up. Very interesting, very important information with respect to this, uh, with what went on in the last 48 hours with respect to this uh, intelligence briefing. You've collected 35 pages plus um, the yeah, backstory. The, uh, the uh, actual briefing is available yeah. online. It's 35 pages long. It doesn't 
it doesn't come off. I was surprised when I read this because it doesn't even look like an intelligence briefing. Because yeah, I've seen a few. And right. Th- this is like a. It seems like segmented information just thrown together into a, a kind of crappy report. Well, I think, and again, Andrew's going to have a lot to say about it. His his research is is stellar. I'm telling yeah. you, with respect to what he's done. And he points out, uh, you know, uh, the sources in this report. They're listed, you know, source A, uh, I believe, through F. Maybe there's more. Right. I think there's seven in, in total, uh, but they're they're all anonymous. And yeah, if you read and, this and you report, wait, you wait. Yeah, it's I amazing. Know. You know. Uh, Sources A and B, a senior Russian foreign ministry figure and former top-level Russian intelligence officer, have been cultivating and supporting U.S. Republican candidate Donald Trump for the last five years. And, and, Source and B, folks, yeah, you, the Trump operation, yeah, was you, both supported and directed by Putin. But you wait until you hear what, we're, right. we're, what Andrew Kerr has to say about those sources and how that report came about. But it's so... You're going to be amazed. It's amazing to me what, what comes off as, um, as striking. And I haven't, I've only read the first few pages because I'm trying to make sense of some of this stuff. It's so vague, and then it's so... I mean, they go from source A and B to, oh, it's uh, directed by Putin. Yeah. And yeah. You know, Donald Trump, for the they're so detailed in their timeline and their names, and they get into Clinton and this Kremlin, and but then when they when they say where the information is coming from, it's always, you know, source A, B, C, D, E, F. That's right. So, and, and aside from vague references to being Russian, they don't. Oh, oh, you, oh, you don't get wait! It, so. Oh, you wait! It's folks. You just can't wait till you. It doesn't strike me wait. as any kind of intelligence briefing. Now, uh, and, and you're, you're going to be surprised to hear the uh, pedigree of this of this information. You're going to just—it's just going to blow your mind uh, based on the research. And this is—I mean, this is what good passes, stuff. This kind of information passes for real intelligence briefings, and and we're, if this kind of stuff has been trouble. going on, yeah, we're in, we're in big, big trouble. trouble. That's right, and, and perhaps we are. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Back in full force, Hagman and Hagman. Notice Hagman and so you're back in full force and on video. I want to thank you for your support. You know what, folks? Let me tell you something. We we put we we we've doubled down on everything in terms of uh, our efforts, uh, our time, and certainly our equipment. Um, you have a choice in that one. Well, yeah, that's true, and uh, we thank you for your support. And you know, we 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 wouldn't be here without you. If you like our program, please, I, I ask, humbly ask, we humbly ask uh, that you, uh, if if you can, to to support us so we can continue broadcasting. Uh, that just, uh, trust me, you just you just don't know. It's really tough. We're gonna be right back. Stay with us. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Hagman and Hagman Report. With us, we've got citizen citizen journalist extraordinaire Andrew Kerr. Uh, he has got some really incredibly if, if, folks. You got to pay attention to what he's about to say. His article appears on on HagmanReport.com. Uh, he's with us uh, via Skype, via video, and uh, uh, go, Joe. I'm sorry. 
In in one second here, it'll be up on the site. Okay, yeah, just momentarily. But folks, uh, Andrew Kerr is with us. Um, thecitizensaudit.com. I, I I'm not sure if, if I screwed that up earlier. Thecitizensaudit.com. Is that right, Andrew? Yeah, thecitizensaudit.com. Right. Okay. <laughs> Wow, second guessing myself there uh, for a moment. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, Andrew, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, stuff going on, uh, talk, to talk about Andrew, or, uh, about, uh, Donald Trump and about Russians and about fake news, although that's kind of secondary to the topic, uh, to, to kind of fill people in on what's happened over the last 40 hours. Why don't you do that coming out of the gate and, uh, telling people what you, what your research has uncovered? I think that's, we'll start there. Yeah, so, um, yeah, let's go. Over a rundown of what has taken place for the past 48 hours. It's a pretty extraordinary uh, chain of events. So CNN reported Tuesday night that a former British MI6 agent was com- uh, commissioned by anti-Trump uh, Republicans during the primaries to conduct opposition research on Trump. Um, soon after that, intelligence officer began researching Trump's international business ties. He reportedly came across questionable information about Trump's businesses in Russia. This former MI6 agent uh, documented his findings in a series of memos dated from June to December 2016 and then delivered them to an FBI official based in Rome. Um, these 35 pages worth of memos eventually made its way to Senator John McCain, who, and I quote, upon examinations of the contents and unable to make a judgment about their accuracy, personally delivered the information to FBI Director James Comey. Um, and then after receiving the memos, but prior to, com- to vetting the claims, U.S. officials last week presented the findings to top, top government officials as a part of their report on Russian disinformation efforts during the presidential campaign. These memos contained allegations that uh, Trump committed perverted acts in a, in a Russian hotel. Um, that's the angle that most reporters are and most stories are focused on. But what's most concerning to me are the allegations that over the past five years, Trump has been supported and directed by Russian President Vladimir Putin for the purpose of sowing discord and disunity from within the United States. If true, that would mean that Donald Trump is essentially a Manchurian candidate for Russia and that he's guilty of treason. Mm. Now, when we consider the seriousness of these claims, and then we consider that they're sourced from a former, not an active MI6 agent, originally commissioned for opposition research, and then a, a United States senator then look at, looked at these reports, gave it to intelligence officials, and they said, yeah, okay, we'll brief the President of the United States on these claims. It's really quite extraordinary. Um, since the report came out after CNN broke news of the existence of the report, BuzzFeed published the full 35-page document that they had obtained earlier, so that Americans can make up their own minds about the allegations about the president-elect that circulate at the highest levels of U.S. government. And over the past 48 hours, it's become increasingly clear that the allegations made in this report are completely and utterly bogus, fake intelligence. The FBI is still investigating the credibility and accuracy of these allegations. CNN has not independently corroborated the specific allegations. The New York Times has been unable to report to confirm the claims and labeled the memos an unsubstantiated report. Politico couldn't corroborate the story. The Huffington Post found the allegations impossible to, to verify. The Guardian called the report unverified and potentially unverifiable. Uh, Chief Digital Officer for Condé Nast International wrote on Twitter, 
Rare that a story stinks from every possible angle, the source, the content, the consequence, the messenger, the target. Russia immediately denied the claims. Donald Trump wrote in all caps that this is fake news, a total political witch hunt. And BuzzFeed editor Ben Smith, who even admitted that after BuzzFeed chased specific claims in, the, in this document for weeks, that there is serious doubt to, serious reason to doubt the allegations, yet they published it anyway. So most news organizations and, and most um, uh, opinion pieces that I've seen on this are condemning BuzzFeed and CNN for publishing this report in the first place because it's quite clear, unverifiable fake news. I'm not going to be trashing CNN or BuzzFeed since there's a lot of other people that are uh, taking that angle. Sure. Me personally, I'm left incredibly concerned that the highest levels of government were briefed on these unsubstantiated claims in the first place. It's incredibly hypocritical, in my opinion, that despite all the fear-mongering over foreign fake news influencing the American electorate, the United States intelligence community appears to have no reservations at all on relying on unverified anonymous foreign intelligence. Yeah, um, and that is concerning. Um, Andrew, but i got to ask you this. Haven't the intelligence agencies and Donald Trump kind of been butting heads, and um, haven't they talked about getting back, uh, getting revenge against Trump? So that's one of the most concerning things about all this is that the intelligence officials reportedly wanted to make a point to Donald Trump. Um, when CNN originally broke this story, and this has been confirmed by numerous reports since, that intelligence officials decided to brief the president-elect and President Obama and top congressional officials on these unconfirmed claims for two reasons. One, to make Donald Trump aware that of the incredibly damning allegations that are circulating in D.C. about him, you right. know, that he's a Manchurian candidate. Uh, that's okay. I think that's okay to inform a presidential candidate or an incoming president of these crazy rumors. But two, they wanted to, quote, demonstrate to Trump that Russia had compiled information harmful to both parties but decided only to release information relating to Hillary Clinton. So the in, top intelligence officials wanted to demonstrate a point. That's an extremely political thing to do for an American intelligence community that prides itself on being apolitical. Furthermore, um, Breitbart Jerusalem reported this afternoon that U.S. and uh, United States and Israeli officials, um, a meeting took place between the two uh, before the publication of these, uh, these memos on Tuesday, that the memos weren't specifically mentioned to the Israelis, but the charge that Russian President Vladimir Putin had some sort of unspecified leverage over Trump was delivered to them. So not only is the intelligence community briefing um, uh, the top decision makers in our government, they're actually taking this unsubstantiated report and delivering it, according to Breitbart, to Israeli sources as intelligence. Um, it's incredibly concerning, and this is... I'm, I'm not concerned about fake news here. I'm concerned about fake intelligence. I mean, how can our leaders make good decisions if our intelligence community is prioritizing making a point to push their narrative instead of just delivering the facts? Why? I mean, I can't believe that... I agree with you. Now, is this, in your view, is this incompetence or is this deliberate... A deliberate attack, like Joe was alluding to earlier, you know, butting heads and such. Um, if it's incompetence, I think we, everybody should be really worried. Well, I mean, let's look at the sources. So, first of all, this was written by a, a former British intelligence agent, so he's not even active within the intelligence community anymore. 
and he's a foreign source. And when I looked through the through the memos, there are seven sources listed, uh, and they're all anonymous, unnamed Russian sources. So an inactive British intelligence officer drafted a series of intelligence memos based off the testimony of seven anonymous Russian sources, many that are still allegedly active within the, the Kremlin. And instead of cross-referencing the claims before verifying their uh, veracity, uh, they they delivered it to top intelligence officials. Uh, to to me, it it kind of does scream incompetence. Yeah, I I don't know what else to say. I mean, you've seen other intelligence briefings, I'm sure, or came across uh, some that were were publicized. And one of the things uh, after we talked earlier, I noticed was that how out of sync this looked. I mean, intelligence briefings seem they're much more organized. Um, they're much more professional. Yeah, no, this didn't have uh, any intelligence markings. It was mm-hmm. actually riddled with spelling errors and grammatical errors. Um, the whole thing really does stink from beginning to end. And that, that's, uh, I guess what I'm getting at is people who see these on a daily basis or create these, I, I would think, uh, after looking at it, would should instantly know that it was there was something fishy going on uh, with this one. Because yeah. you know the the, it's the information from the sources is, uh, about the sources is so vague. At the same time, what they're saying in, in the, the times and the, the people that's very uh, detailed, you know. But there's no information given about these sources except um, vague references to different countries, intelligence agencies, and, and government operators. Um, yeah, so it's and very these strange. Are, these memos were actually. It was it was not a well kept secret within uh, the United States media and uh, and top levels of the government. Uh, multiple news agencies actually obtained these memos before the November election. Um, for instance, uh, Julia Loth, a writer for Huffington Post, announced on Twitter after this broke that uh, she asked, "Okay, fellow journalists, raise your hands if you too were approached with this story." I was. Now the allegations in this report uh, would make the left, the left-wing media just kind of drool, uh, and they wanted this to be true so bad you can only imagine. And they had it before the election. Uh, many uh, journalists were kind of teasing that they were sitting on something, uh, some allegations that are incredibly damning about Donald Trump and the Russians, but they never reported on it. They had months to verify the claims, but they they couldn't report on it because it was impossible to corroborate the claims um, and. Um, Huffington Post, Politico, many other agencies, they, they had this, but they, they couldn't verify anything, so they didn't publish it. Because journalists thought that it was unethical to publish these claims. So if it's unethical for journalists to publish something, then how can we possibly be okay with the intelligence community presenting this as verified intelligence to the President of the United States? He could have made decisions based off of this. Um, the implications of this are really quite concerning. And to be honest, it's kind of a shame that um, everybody's kind of pointing. Uh, the, the media is blasting CNN and uh, BuzzFeed uh, yesterday and today about this report. But I have I've seen very little about people bringing uh, questioning why this was delivered as part of an intelligence report to decision makers in the first place. That that's much more concerning about a news agency you know putting out a report that people were briefed on this. And, and there it is, uh, Andrew. There it is. That's the main issue here. Why, 
and, and are you telling me, or are you telling us, uh, that this is, I guess, a rhetorical question, but uh, are you saying that, that um, this was actually presented as a factual briefing when, in fact, it, it was pro- disproven, never proven, and it was bogus from day one? Um, and if that's the case, what does that say about our intelligence agencies? And if that's not the case, what does that say about our intelligence agencies? Either yeah. way. Well, it, just, uh, it was just reported um, really just a few hours ago. Uh, Vice President Joe Biden came out uh, and said that he confirmed that he and President Obama were briefed last week on these unsubstantiated claims. And apparently Obama said that, or Joe Biden said that Obama asked, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> so it's pretty we've, wow. we've been we've been seeing over the past couple of weeks, everybody is, you know, really hitting Donald Trump hard because he's making claims that it seems like he's questioning the intelligence community and how bad of a person Donald Trump is for questioning the intelligence community. The president of the United States was just briefed with bad intelligence and had to ask them during the intelligence briefing, what does this have to do with anything? But President Obama had to question our intelligence sources. This is not a left-wing or right-wing issue. We have, you know, the top leaders of our government are receiving intelligence, and they're immediately questioning, saying, why are you giving me this? Why are you delivering unsubstantiated claims? What if Obama didn't, you know, smell that this story stunk right away and actually took it seriously? That's what kind of makes my heart sing uh, about this, is that, you know, just a few weeks ago, the president expelled 35 Russian diplomats yep. um, as a response for um, Russian uh, interfering in our elections. What if he took this report seriously? What, what if he actually thought that you know Donald Trump was being blackmailed by the Russians and that he was a uh, you know a, an inside agent for the Russians? You know he gets inaugurated in, ten, in nine days. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's <laughs> a good point. And and interesting uh, what you just pointed out. Um, you know, people act, the presidents, and, and they have to be able to trust their intelligence agencies. And yeah. especially if there's some kind of emergency or uh, something that needs a decision right now, here, here's the briefing, uh, here's what's going on, what do you, what do you want to do? Um, sometimes it's not always, uh, they're not always able to vet the information. So that is a, a very big concern. But the, the one thing that, the few things that stick out to me, the John McCain, um, passing this letter, or this, uh, report to the FBI, um, do you think Trump saw this back when it first came out or was, was briefed on this? Or I just don't see how this can be in all the newsrooms and, you know, not being published because people are unable to verify it. It's going to senators, different countries even. Uh, but, you know, he wouldn't be able to get that information that is being passed about him. Um, I, there's no indication that, um, Trump was given this report, uh, prior to him, I mean, to, the election or prior to this, you know, whole snafu over the past 48 hours. You know, we have to remember that these originated as uh, opposition research documents against Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was supposed, there was a lot of, um, you know, people in the left wing media that really wanted this to be the October surprise, it seems. And they worked really oh. hard to try to verify the claims and they couldn't because it's, these are unverifiable claims. And you remember the, the different people coming out and saying, oh, there's going to be big bombshells about Donald Trump. Oh. And, uh, yeah. This is, so this, this is a report the, that originated from. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they, I mean, let, let's see, it's a, it's an, an anonymous British intelligence official. He, he's since been named, um, and apparently is, you know, trying to go underground <laughs> at the time. And an, an unnamed British, ex-British intelligence official 
relying on the testimony of seven anonymous Russian sources. So we have an anonymous person reporting on anonymous claims and then delivering this report. Of course they can't verify. And that's so much worse. I mean, when we talk about the alleged Russian interference in the U.S. elections, the only information that came out was, for the most part was Hillary Clinton's own internal emails and her campaign staff's emails um, from the DNC and from John Podesta that were released. I mean, in their own words, in their own internal communications, that stuff was just released. It, it wouldn't matter if it was Julian Assange or, uh, you know, Angela Merkel who did it. It was just a transfer of valid information. It wasn't, you know, doctored reports or made up uh, sources. So this is, is much worse. Um, even if Russia was behind the release of the emails, um, when I see that, it's just the trend. You know, the information was hacked and it was released to the public as, as is. This is just created out of whole cloth. Yeah. Okay. Now, Andrew, this to me is the, the second half of this, and you, we all spoke um, b- before the broadcast, but what's, in your estimation, what's the blowback? What's the, Now, obviously, there, there's a cause and effect. Um, something is going to happen. I mean, what's going to happen now, uh, given the fact, disproven, handled by the intelligence agencies, um, what's going to be the blowback from the, from all of this, if any? Well, here's here here's where this gets this story gets really strange. Um, on Tuesday night, immediately after this report was dropped, um, an anonymous internet poster on uh, on the notorious website 4chan claimed that he fabricated one of the most alarming stories about the report, uh, the one that details uh, Trump bringing in uh, Russian prostitutes into a Russian hotel. And that Russia had a tape of his actions and were holding and were blackmailing Trump with that with those tapes. He says that he made up that story almost word for word, and it somehow made it to the report published by BuzzFeed, the one that was briefed to the president and was circulating among decision makers. So um, that rumor holds absolutely no credibility on its own because again, it's just an anonymous poster. But um, there's a large number of people that are spreading this story over the internet and it's gaining steam and it's since it's gone unchallenged by intelligence officials for almost two days now and I think that it's just very concerning and just the very thought that somebody could have potentially as a joke um, essentially create some you know Trump fan fiction give it to a journalist who that journalist then takes it seriously and then gives it to an ex-British intelligence official who then puts that into a report that ends up getting read to the President of the United States as part of an intelligence briefing. A, that's incredibly concerning that somebody could have essentially trolled the CIA, which is what they're claiming, and then B, yeah, what would be the, the, the pushback to that? If people are just making false stories on anonymous Internet forums... And that's and and that ends up becoming part of an intelligence briefing. You know, we got to keep in mind that um, these same intelligence agencies that delivered this fake intelligence report were also authorized, as part of a law that was signed a couple weeks ago, to combat fake news. <laughs> so these same organizations get to determine what is fake news and what's real news, and then they get to quote combat it uh, to you know uh, push their their narrative. So I mean, how, how can Americans trust? Our intelligence agencies, uh, if they deliver fake news to senior government officials, um, but 
how, how can we trust them to accurately determine what is fake news and what isn't? Uh, sure. It's yeah. Um, I think that this th- this is the main main takeaway for the story. It's funny to think that you know some just an anonymous poster could have uh, trolled the CIA. Um, you know, some of the allegations are they're spawning a lot of funny internet memes. I think this is really serious stuff that um, either through gross incompetence or just a desire to stick it to the incoming president from the intelligence community. It's just so um, I, I still can't wrap my head around it that this was actually delivered as part of an intelligence report. And I I, I don't believe for a second that it was incompetence. Um, I think these people knew exactly what they were doing. Um or they had an agenda or still have an agenda and they did this for a reason. Especially when you see, um, it's definitely concerning when you see, reading your article, you put it together very nicely. The, the kind of chain of events, um, that led up to this report becoming known. Uh, there's a tweet you have in the article from an Adam Goldman from the New York Times who, who talks about how this happens, CNN find ways to talk about the report, and BuzzFeed uses that as a reason to publish it. Media critics are going to be busy. Um, But it's interesting to see, uh, you know, you also put point out in the article, CNN did not independently corroborate the specific allegations. At the same time, they didn't reference the article, but obviously that gave BuzzFeed, you know, they thought that since CNN had mentioned it, that it was okay to to put it out there. Well, yeah, I mean, let's... Yeah, because, uh, you know, a lot of these, these news groups, they, they had this story and they're, you gotta imagine that they're looking for any excuse possible to release this. Cause they, they failed for months to, to verify the claims. And so once CNN announced the existence of this report, then, yeah, then BuzzFeed got the go ahead essentially to, you know, that's our excuse to publish this. Yeah. And what you said earlier about Russia, um, the, the intelligence agencies, wanting to show Trump that it wasn't just the left or Hillary Clinton that was being uh, messed with by Russians. They're trying to prove a point, I think it was, was the word you used. That, yeah. That's very concerning because when if you look at this as this not being a coincidence, as not being um, gross negligence, and then, you know, the, the revenge aspect of uh, how Trump, you know, really destroyed uh, the credibility of a lot of... Um, people in the government who were trying to keep him from becoming the president and wanted Hillary Clinton to get in. This all just stinks of a, of a shadow government, you know, a psyop against Trump and the people who support him. Yeah. Um, you know, absolutely. That's, that's a possibility. And I think just on a, you know, on a higher level, just, uh, concern about the credibility of the intelligence community. I don't want to be having to question the, um, the intelligence community. We should be able to trust our, our the intelligence community. I, I, I totally agree with you on that. The, yeah, and the, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, you know, the Soviet Russia used the KGB to control its citizens. Um, you know, that was the the Soviet equivalent of you know the the CIA, the FBI. Um, right. To bring down their their people. And you did well on pointing out in your previous article. Uh, well, about the NDAA, page 547, uh, I believe it was, about the propaganda. You did very well with that. So, I don't believe, I don't believe in coincidences, and I certainly don't believe this was a coincidence. Um, any thoughts on the timing of this? I, I just don't. Well, you know, it really brings up the question for me, um, <laughs> 
what else have they been feeding the the president and top uh, decision makers? Uh. Do they are they frequently adding in unverifiable claims in an effort to prove a point to push a narrative instead of you know because we got to think they they deliver this as part of the overall intelligence report. So they probably had you know let, let's think ninety percent of the report was you know good honest legit intelligence. And then they wanted to, you know, just make that extra point. And so they added these unverified claims from a foreign source so they can make their, their point. How often are they doing that? Why Pretty is the intelligence? I would believe. Yeah. Um, why is the intelligence community trying to push a narrative uh, or prove points instead of just delivering the facts? Um, you know, it just, why is this, uh, why is the American intelligence community acting political? I thought that they were an apolitical organization. In fact, of all the government agencies, I'd want the, the, I'd say it's most important the, that the intelligence community is the most apolitical of all of them. Um, because, I mean, information is powerful. You can influence people to go to wars over bad information. We went to Iraq due to the WMD claims. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gulf Tonkin, Tonkin incident. Um, many consider that to be fake intelligence that led us into the, uh, into Vietnam War. And all, you know, over 50,000 Americans died as a result of that, that conflict. It was potentially pushed, we were potentially pushed into that conflict because of, a uh, you know, because of fake intelligence, essentially. So, um. Every conflict seems to start this way with our country. <laughs> yeah, so we should be, you know, pushing for legit intelligence. The, the intelligence community is losing the trust of not only the incoming president, but of the American people. And I think that that's, uh, it's, it's just concerning. And, um, they need to do a, they, they need to earn our trust back. Because right now I'm having a hard time trusting anything that they say now. Absolutely. Folks, we're talking with Andrew Kerr from thecitizenaudit.com. Check out his latest story, Is Fake Intelligence Influencing Decision Makers at the Highest Levels of Government? Andrew, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks God bless, brother. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. Wow. When we come back. Yeah, that's great. Brandon House from worldviewweekend.com. Stay talking with Talking geopolitics. Two of this uh, edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Our guest for now until the end of the show is Brandon House from WorldViewWeekend.com. That's WorldViewWeekend.com. He's joining us live on video, and uh, we got a lot of stuff to get into. There's some interesting stuff happening in the Middle East, and uh, we're going to talk about that as well as a number of issues, uh, current events, and important issues pertaining to Donald Trump and uh, the Christian community. Yeah. Brandon, welcome back to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Set up there for you guys. <laughs> hey, you look, you know, as, as I said during the break, you look uh, dapper. Just kidding about us being in our pajamas, but uh, no, we, we, we like to we like to salt the uh, airwaves just a little bit before we uh, bring somebody. Brandon, yeah, great to have you back, man. A lot of stuff going on, brother. Yeah, there is. There's plenty going on to talk about, isn't there? Well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe people should just go watch The View or something, you know, to get some real news. Yeah, yeah. Where, where do you want to start, man? I mean, we were getting emails, and, and you might have heard. Um, 
there's some stuff going on over over in Israel, bombing Syria, uh, Syria bombing Israel, or or not, uh, or vice versa, I should say. Israel bombing Syria. Thanks. But but what? Wow. And then of course domestic stuff. Trump, uh, the inauguration. Uh, hey, you pick. <laughs> well, have I been on since you uh, since Trump was elected? Have I been on? No. I don't think so I think no. you came on before the election, a few weeks before the election, if I remember right, maybe a month mm-hmm. before. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you were on uh, about a month and a half before that. So I don't think we've spoken since Trump was uh, elected president. All right. Well, I wrote an article right after the election. And the premise of the article is, is, uh, is Donald Trump's election, God blessing America, God judging America, God protecting America, or all three? And the premise of the article is that perhaps God has allowed Donald Trump to be elected uh, to protect the church from persecution, to protect these conservatives, of which you and I would fall in that kind of category, who have deep religious and biblical convictions, uh, that are on the airwaves. I'm on about 35 stations live every day. You're on the stations you're on and doing what you're doing and on, on all kinds of platforms. And there is a lot of talk about censoring people like you and me, not only off the airwaves with fairness doctrine, but also then censoring people like you and me off Twitter and Facebook and other platforms and and uh, so maybe God is giving some protection to us, those who are speaking truth. But at the same time, could God also be using someone like Donald Trump to judge America? God's not schizophrenic. So can he actually put together, a, in a, put in a leader, and we know that God ordains everything that comes to pass. It doesn't mean he agrees with everything, but there's a difference between his, his, his moral will what the Bible declares, this is the will of the Lord, and then there's his providential will, that which he allows to happen. God allowed Hitler, but that was not God's moral will. Hitler was breaking the moral law, thou shalt not murder. But God allowed it, but then at some point God providentially used nations of the world to stop him and, and to bring his regime to an end. So there's the moral will of God, there's a providential will of God. So we have to say that God allows leaders to come to power, and God stops leaders from coming to power. So we have to say God allowed Donald Trump to become president. He, can he do that and also be protecting America, be protecting, or I should say, protecting churches, protecting Christians, protecting evangelical Christians and conservatives? But at the same time, can it be a form of judgment? What do I mean by that? Yes, it can be all the above. I believe before the election, America was under God's judgment, per Romans 1. You see all the things that happen to a nation when they reject God over and over and over. He says in Romans 1 that God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. And what do they end up with? The consequences. And what are the consequences? Well, in Romans 1, uh, you see they become a nation of fools. Uh, that's in about verse 21, 22 of Romans 1. Nation of fools, vain, useless, and futile in their thinking. I would say we're largely a nation of fools. Uh, not all of us. Uh, but there are those who just simply are vain and useless and futile in their thinking. They've been given over. Then you have people who worship pagan spirituality, the worship of nature. They exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve creation rather than the creator who's blessed forevermore. That's your new age. That's your uh, uh, avatar, pantheism, all is God. Panentheism, God is in all. Earth worship, new age, Oprah. So first you're a nation of fools, vain, useless, and futile. Then you begin to worship nature, new age worship of nature. Then you become a violent and debased uh, culture, according to Romans 1. This is the consequence of rejecting God. Then you end up with homosexuality being celebrated and embraced. 
Then you end up with corrupt leaders, says people who know the righteous judgments of God, verse 31, but reject it and encourage others to do the same. So you end up with all of these consequences that the Bible says is what happens to a nation when you reject God over and over and over again. Have we done that? Yeah, we got same-sex marriage. We've got, here in the Bible Belt, we have more strip clubs and more divorces than anywhere in the country, and yet we're in the Bible Belt. Why? Because we don't have enough Bible under our belt. You want to hold a good biblical conference? Don't do it in the Bible Belt. You won't have hardly anyone show up. They're too busy hunting and fishing and, and watching sports. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but hey, let's get it in context. Now, they like to moralize and boycott and go to church on Sunday and say amen, and, but what goes on between the rest during the week is kind of, you know, whatever. It doesn't really relate to real life. We go up to the north, up to the Midwest, we have huge turnouts. Why? Because people up there, if you say you're a believer, if you say you're a person of faith, if you say you're a Christian, you really believe that. You better be willing to back it up with how you live and know how to contend for what you say is true. So it costs you something, and therefore, like when you work out, when you have resistance, you get stronger. That resistance, you get stronger. Not a lot of resistance here in the Bible Belt in Memphis, Tennessee. Everybody loves Jesus down here, pretty much. You go up north, it costs you something. And so the Christians up there, they're tough. They're working out. They've had resistance. They've developed their strength to contend for the faith. And so we see that we have a nation that's been given over in many regards, but here we've been in the Bible Belt. We have a lot of abortion, a lot of divorce, a lot of things that we shouldn't be doing. But then we have across the country abortion. We've killed over 50 million babies since Roe v. Wade. So I can just keep going on with all the things that show we've been given over. Now, did that, did that just stop? Because Donald Trump got elected, God all of a sudden says, oh, they elected Donald Trump, I'll stop judging your nation. Is it possible God can judge a nation while at the same time brings a leader to office that gives some protection to Christians? I think that could be very possible, and they're not contradictory. But how would it be bringing judgment? Ezekiel 38 talks about God putting a hook in the mouth of Israel's enemies and drawing out the enemies of Israel to attack Israel. So here God is just stepping back. Again, God's not the author of evil. He cannot contradict his character. But stepping back and allowing someone to do what is in their heart is not God doing it. Same thing when Pharaoh did what he did. God just finally gave him over. You see that, see that over and over with the, in the scriptures in, in Genesis where Joseph's brothers, he talks about his brothers, his brothers. Sometimes it says God did this and God did that and his brothers did this. His, wait a minute, that's not which one's doing it, God or Joseph? Which one's doing it, God or Pharaoh? Who's doing this? In Ezekiel 38, who's doing this, God or the enemies of Israel coming against them? Well, it's God stepping back and letting them do what was already in their heart. Joseph's brothers already had greed and envy and jealousy in their heart. God stepped back and let that happen to Joseph. But did God do it? No. God just stepped back and let them do it. Providentially, he said, yeah, I'll let you do that because God can use the sinful, the sinful choices of man to accomplish his purpose. Could it be that God will let someone like Donald Trump become president, which he has now, and then the enemies of America, there's a hook put in their mouth to come against us. Because now the guy who's saying, I'm going to go after the, the ISIS. I'm going after the Marxists and the Muslims and ISIS and the haters of America. And and we're not going to, maybe 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 he's going to stop paying jizya. By the way, did you know that foreign aid to most of these Muslim nations, we call it foreign aid. They see it as denitude or jizya, which is payment by the non-Muslim for them not to attack us. What if Trump all of a sudden says, we're done with that foreign aid, all you Muslim nations? Well, most Americans would go, okay, foreign aid, stopped. Muslim nations would say, no, dimitude, jizya, stopped. Now we attack you. So a leader like Trump 
could be putting a hook in the mouth of the enemies of America to come against us, just as we see that happen in Ezekiel and the enemies of Israel come against them. God allows this to happen. Now, in the case of America, it could be part of our judgment. But in the case of Israel, it's not judging Israel. Ezekiel 38 says God allows this to happen. Why? It says right here in the text. So that God might be glorified, the whole world will know he's Lord. In other words, God supernaturally intervenes. Huge earthquake occurs. Hailstorms. I mean, it's just like apocalyptic type stuff. And the dead of Israel's enemies lay in their border for seven months. It takes them to bury their dead. And the Bible says God intervenes. God saves Israel so the whole world will know he's Lord. So the reason I'm using Ezekiel 38 is to show that sometimes God does step back and let people do certain things. And in this case, it's to judge people and show the wrath of God and protect Israel and declare himself to be Lord. Could Donald Trump be drawing out the enemies of America to come against America to bring judgment? In other words, can God be using Donald Trump to give some protection to the church, preach the gospel, keep the airwaves open, defend for authority, but at the same time continue to judge us per Romans 1 that I think was going on before the election and I think it's still going on now? I think they're all possible. Yeah, and you make some some very good points. Um, we saw in the last year, two years, the huge increase of, of hatred against Christianity, both here and abroad, and the um, genocide of Christians, uh, specifically in the Middle East and, and parts of Africa, and the, how the numbers have increased and how they're pretty much at all-time highs, um, you know, since people have been keeping track of this kind of thing. Uh, my question to you about Trump, uh, do you think Trump at heart, really wants to protect the the good values and and of Christianity or do you think that he's pandering to a base in order to um continue to to expand his uh political influence That's the $64,000 question isn't it Mhm It's so hard to know I mean where is this guy at you know I think James Dobson came out for the election wanted to tell us that Trump is a baby Christian I was offended by that for a couple reasons I don't need someone to be a Christian to vote for them So don't pander to me Jim Dobson, uh, part of the religious right, and tell me somebody's a baby Christian. I don't think you have any way of knowing whether Donald Trump is a baby Christian or not, and why Why does it even need to come up? I can have a good police officer in my town who's not a believer, who's not a Christian. I can have a good mayor, we have a good governor, we can have good doctors, uh, we, there are people who are good school teachers. They don't have to be Christians to be good at their occupation or, or to uphold the purpose of law or government. Now, if you can vote for someone that is a believer, is a Christian, then great. But it's not required. I'm not voting for a pastor. I'm not voting for an elder. I'm not voting for church leadership. There's a difference between the church government and civil government and family government. So I get really tired of the religious right, always wanting to make someone out to be a Christian so we can feel better about voting for them. So I didn't appreciate that by Jim Dobson, which is really kind of ironic when Jim Dobson runs around and run around with some of the new apostolic reformation, these modern-day prophets and apostles. Um, you know, really? I mean, if he thinks these people are Christians, then it would cause me to question whether he really knows what is the doctrinal fruit of a true believer per First John. And I've emailed with Dobson a couple summers ago trying to convince him to quit quit working with some of the people like Lou Engle and some of these other modern-day prophets, but didn't, I didn't get very far. But the point is this. I don't know where Trump is coming from spiritually, but I think he can still be a good magistrate and not be a Christian. Um, but at the end of the day, is Trump really more of a pragmatist? Is his business life one more of pragmatism? And it may be that because he needed to appeal to a base, he knew how to go and get the people who were concerned about national security, 
People are concerned about big government. People are concerned about losing their jobs, which was a lot of union Democrats. Uh, he, he appealed to a lot of people. But, I mean, obviously he had Republicans, Democrats, independents. So maybe it was pragmatic. But one thing showed me something, and I'm not sure really what it says, but it, it may tell us a lot. We'll have to see. But his pick of VP. Now, Mike Pence is a solid evangelical conservative Christian. And I have a, one of my closest lifelong friends since I was in early elementary has known Pence for 12 years, knows him very, very well, uh, and was a pastor at the church he attended for 12 years in Northern Virginia. And sorry about that. Quit it, dog. And that church, by the way, is a very conservative church. Uh, if he wanted to pick a secret sensitive watered down church, there's plenty in Northern Virginia to choose. He chose a very conservative Bible teaching church to attend that I attended as a young child and went to the Christian school connected to it. His wife, Mike Pence's wife, actually taught for several years at this Christian school, Emanuel Bible Church and Emanuel Christian School on the corner of Backlick and Braddock Road, Northern Virginia. And their current pastor is a dear friend of mine who is set at the very news desk I'm sitting at now, and we carry his sermons from Sundays on our TV network. So that is tells me a lot. Mike Pence could have picked a watered-down, seeker-sensitive, social justice more of a leftist religious church, but no, he chose for 12 years to raise his kids and his wife teach in a very solid uh, Christian school and church that are connected. And Mike, and that's who Donald Trump picked. Something is very interesting about that. So I don't know what he's going to do, but I feel really good about Mike Pence. Now, am I going to agree with everything that Trump does and says? No. Would I agree with everything that 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 Pence has ever done or said? No. Will I in the future? No. But I think Pence was a great choice, and it said a lot. And um, it's going to be very interesting to watch to see what happens. But I don't think we should should uh, be all in in the sense that we never criticize. Look, you and I as journalists, as talk show hosts, we we make our living just calling them the way we see them, right? You know, and that's what we're going to keep doing. But to answer your question in a sentence, when it comes to his values, we don't really know. We know what he did in the past with casinos and other things. Going forward, we don't really know. And I'm, but I'm not about to buy any any sloganeering and, and PR move by the religious right that he's a baby Christian. Because, again, it's irrelevant to being a magistrate uh, because, again, I don't want a Christian government. There's some people in the religious right that scare me to death if they ever became an elected official. I don't want a theocracy, and I don't want a religious government. No, you're right. And, um, you know, uh, that, what you said just reminded me about almost a year ago, we were in Dallas, Texas at a conference and, uh, we were doing a panel, my dad and myself and Josh Tolley, who's a radio show host and another, uh, radio show host. And Josh laid that out, um, what you just said. He, he gave a great answer, uh, to a question about, um, homosexual marriage and it, it had to do with the government, uh, starting to define, uh, different tenets of the church from marriage to, you know, what is uh, a baby, what is, you know, a fetus and, and how government, when they get involved, um, you know, they begin by us letting the government get involved in defining these different institutions and whatnot, how it becomes so corrupted. And uh, there is a reason that this nation was set up as a commonwealth. You have uh, no separation of church and state in the Constitution like people like to think. But I think the um, the government that was established as well as the church understood coming out of the, the medieval ages in Europe and the uh, the Dark Ages that 
there had to be that separation to a degree because the, the interference of, you know, would create a state religion or a religion that's based around the state, which has always been problematic in the past. And Absolutely. yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a, a very thin line when you start going down those roads and allowing you know, government or religion to interfere with one another. Those, those, those colonies, those original colonies, which is really where we get most of our Christian history and heritage. We don't really have a lot of Christian history and heritage with the founding fathers. Um, they gave us a, a great form of government, no doubt about it, a constitutional republic. But th- these guys were politicians, and and if you really want to, look... yeah, yeah, exactly. They were really mixing New Age with Christianity for a mixture because they're politicians. And and when you go back after the fact, and, the, and their journals came out, and you see the writings between Adams and Jefferson, yep, the public at the time they'd known then what they were saying to each other in their journals and letters to each other. You know, like the, the, the Jefferson talking about the Bible being a dunghill from which he picks the pearls. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew, uh, you know, even if we were there uh, with Moses getting the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't believe in the Holy Trinity. You know, these guys, you know, the, the, talking about evangelicals believe three is one and one is three and how this is just garbage and how stupid. He, one of them, it was either Adams or Jefferson, refers to them as the poor, pitiful dupes, you know, of Christianity. Yep. If... If the Christians at that time had known that about the framers, that would have been a real problem. But see, they were being politicians. So they took a little Christianity, took a little age of reason, Thomas Paine, mixed it all together, and basically you get Joel Osteen, former Christianity, really a new age form of Christianity that we see today. And age of enlightenment or higher knowledge, Gnosticism, higher hidden knowledge. Then, of course, you start bringing in all the secret societies, which again are about esoteric, hidden knowledge and different things. But if you want to go to our Christian history and heritage, you go back to the colonies. And in my book, Religious Trojan Horse, I write extensively at one point about the, the Massachusetts Bay Colony. They would not allow a Jesuit in their Massachusetts Bay Colony. It was illegal to be a Jesuit and be in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Because, you see, they understood the dangers of the Church of Rome, and they understood the dangers of the Jesuits, and their desire for world domination, not to mention they knew about the Reformation. They knew about this this Reformation that involved uh, several hundred years of torturing and murdering Christians who simply were reading the Bible, translating the Bible, distributing the Bible. And not only were these people tortured and murdered by the Jesuits, Ignatius of Loyola, who started the Jesuits officially, um, but they would torture them in order to keep them alive for long periods of time so they could torture them more. And this, these are the Jesuits. And here, we, of course, we have the first Jesuit pope ever, Pope Francis. So the Massachusetts Bay Colony and all the colonies really knew about the dangers of a state religion. And then, of course, the founders would have known about some of that. So, no, they didn't want a state religion. They, we have a separation of church and state in that we don't want a Christian government, a theocracy of any kind of religious government. But this government is to stay off the back of the state. So it's been turned on its head. But I do believe in separation of church and state. If you mean the church is to stay, or the, the government is to stay at the back of the church, and we are not to have a religious form of government. Now, does that mean that religion and government are not compatible? No. Because everyone has a religion. Everyone has a system set or collection of beliefs. And you do have the moral law written on your heart and mind, bearing witness. Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 3. Universal consent. That's why everybody knows globally murder is wrong, stealing is wrong, theft is wrong, adultery is wrong. 
So there's this universal consent of which we have the Ten Commandments and our and our our civic code, and many nations do. That's the laws of nature, nature's God, or the moral law. But that's different from saying you have to believe these things to be an elected official, or or, or are creating a religious government that sets up persecuting one group over another based on their religious doctrines. So we're not calling for a religious neutral zone. You can't have that. Everyone has their system, set of collection of beliefs. So think you have a religion. But there is not to be a state-affiliated, state-established church. And the job of the church, civil government, is not the same as the family government or that of the church government. There are three different spheres that God created for three different purposes, and they're the work in harmony with one another. And certainly as a constitutional republic, we were set up, I think it was William Blackstone that said basically a constitutional republic is based on this. If the divine is ruled on it, we don't contradict him. So that's really just about all it comes down to is, is the absolute truth of the moral law for the purpose of government and family and church government working in cooperation. But they all have different purposes and spheres. We don't have our church government telling a father and mother how to raise their kids and run their church or run their family. Now, we do from biblical principles, but they're not supposed to be um, monitoring those families and, and infringing on those parents and their parental authority in their home like some kind of cult. And yet that's exactly what we do see happening in the cults. So also are, in the state government, yeah. you know, through child protective services and uh, you know schools getting involved in, in different curriculum and uh, you know tearing down of the homeschooling and getting involved in parenting. We're seeing and, and it's all bad when we see these things happen. And who's done that has been mostly your communist nations who see the kids as not belonging to the parents, not seeing the God-given responsibility of parents to raise their kids, but that the, the kids belong to the state. They're human resource to be brainwashed by the state into the state's worldview. So again, communism is a perfect example of the opposite, maybe of a of a religious worldview of government, like uh, maybe some of the religious right would like to have, where we have this, you know, we everybody that runs for office needs to be a Christian. We elect them uh, to office, and somehow Christians now take over and establish the kingdom of God. That's what many of them believe. It's called dominion theology, or our kingdom now theology, or dominionism. That's what the, much of the religious right, the word of faith, the new apostolic reformation, all those religious groups kind of run together. While they may not agree theologically on some major, major points, they don't care because at the end of the day, their goal is to Christianize America and, and rule and establish the kingdom of God and take over. Well, really, frankly, do you want to see some of these odd people like Cindy Jacobs, who thinks she's reversing hysterectomies over television with on video, Lou Engel, and, and, and uh, some of these other people, uh, Kenneth Copeland and and, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Do you really want to see these kind of people having the authority in a civil magistrate position? Absolutely not. I'm not interested in Christians running America, which scare me, quite frankly, as I said earlier. But then you have the opposite of that, which is communism, which, again, is coming from a totally different worldview, but also says they want to run the world, and they want to take over the kids, and they want to take over establishments in order to have dominion. And whether it's the Marxists or the Muslims, or the Mormons, who also have a world domination idea. I mean, they want to establish a world government based out of Independence, Missouri, where they will establish that and build a kingdom, and Christ will will reign from that as the New Jerusalem out of Independence, Missouri. All of these religions, almost all of them, have a dominion theology, and I'm not interested in any of them running our government. Absolutely, and. Um we got about one minute till uh, we come up against the break. And, you know, you're talking about the Founding Fathers. I kind of want to revisit this. Um, a few years back, we had Chris Pinto on, and he had a, a documentary film he did about the Georgia Guidestones, but he also did a film called The Hidden Faith of the Founding Fathers. 
And he laid out, and I've read through George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and, and the different diaries and letters of communication back and forth. And there's so many references, uh, anti-biblical references from, you know, the reasoning you talked about where they um, basically uh, tried to use reason and logic to, to figure out Christ and was he born of a virgin and that, you know, they would make the arguments in their writings that uh, how many women, you know, out of a thousand women to have kids, how many have been, uh, you know, were virgins when they had babies? Well, none. So this couldn't have happened 2,000 right. years ago. And and in even to more extreme cases, and even George Washington, when walking to the first Constitutional Convention with John Adams, even referenced made reference to themselves as giants. There was giants in the land in those days. And there's other just strange biblical references that are taken way out of context. When you examine what the Founding Fathers really believed, it is very troubling when you see people trying to lump them in as Christians or uh, people who, who believed in the Bible and in Jesus Christ, because that's the furthest thing from the truth. And maybe when we come back, we can talk about David Barton, yeah. who's probably the most popular to do that. Yep, that's uh, one of the things that the in the documentary that is pointed out about David Barton. Folks, you're listening to Brandon House. His website is worldviewweekend.com, worldviewweekend.com. He'll be with us uh, through the next three segments until the end of the show. We'll be right back. Stay with us on this Thursday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Our guest is Brandon House. His website is worldviewweekend.com. Check out worldviewweekend.com. You can find there the Worldview Weekend Radio, as well as uh, news and, and a library of other information, as well as affiliates with uh, with Brandon House. He's been a guest on in the past, always uh, very hard-hitting and informative. And uh, before the break, we were talking about the the, the religion of, of government and the Founding Fathers and the separation between church and state, uh, how... When one gets involved with the other, it tends to become uh, something of a different monster, very corrupt and, and uh, not what seems to be intended. And you know, a good example of that is uh, you know what the Catholic Church did in the Dark Ages. And you see the you know this is what kind of spawned this this uh, push to to America to a more free society where um, religion wasn't you know killing people for uh, the crime of uh, being a heretic. And yeah. then, you know, we get into the Founding Fathers, and we mentioned Chris Pinto's documentary, The Hidden Faith of the Founding Fathers, as well as um, getting into some of the writings of these guys and what they truly believed and the big misconception between what history teaches versus what they really were like. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chris Pinto is a good friend of mine. He was just here in our TV studio in Memphis in November sitting at this very desk, news, news desk, as we filmed uh, a series of programs. And I quote uh, Chris Pinto extensively in my book, The Coming Religious Reich, and he helped me with that chapter, some of the research, uh, talking about the Founding Fathers, some of their quotes, things they really believe, as well as David Barton. Uh, and, but here's, here's one, Thomas Paine. This, the founders were really into Age of Reason, Thomas Paine. But Thomas Paine wrote, Whenever we read the obscene stories, the voluptuous debaucheries, 
the cruel and torturous executions, the unrelenting vindictiveness with which more than half the Bible is filled, it would seem more consistent that we call it the word of a demon than the word of God. It is a history of wickedness that has served to corrupt and brutalize mankind. And for my own part, I sincerely detest it. And, and yet, again, this is who the, many of the founders were following. Payne also said, I do not believe in the creed professed by the Jewish church, by the Roman church, by the Green church, by the Turkish church, by the Protestant church, nor by any church that I know of. My own mind is my church. And then you talk up to, uh, as some did at the time of Washington, people were asking some of Washington's own uh, religious uh, people around him, like his pastor, whether they knew anything about him. Reverend James uh, Abercrombie, Bishop White's assistant, who also was asked by Dr. Bird Wilson about Washington's faith, and again, these people knew him, White recounts Abercrombie's response, quote, long after Washington's death, in my reply to Dr. Wilson, who had interrogated him, as to his illustrious auditor's religious views, Dr. Abercrombie's brief but emphatic answer was, quote, Sir Washington was a deist, end quote. So we talk about the big eight founding fathers, and certainly I would include Adams, Washington, Jefferson, Franklin. There is no evidence in there at all they were believers. In fact, to the contrary, when you read what a believer is, as we see the ten hallmarks of a believer in 1 John, 1 John chapter 5 says, this book was written that you may know you have eternal life, and it gives all these hallmarks of a believer. Many of the founding fathers would not pass the biblical test of a believer because they did embrace false teaching and then mock the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and they did not believe in the substitutionary death of Christ. Uh, they mocked these ideas. They denied the Holy Spirit. The, they denied the Trinity. They denied the virgin birth. Uh, no, these guys would not pass the test of what it means to be a Christian. Yet they were hijacked by much of the religious right, particularly starting in the 1970s with, with the birth of the religious right, and it was either done by sloppy uh, stewardship or, or uh, scholarship, or it was done deliberately. Yeah. Uh, I think some people it was done because they just trusted other people. I know for many years I believed a lot of these things because I trusted the people that were that were teaching this. And, of course, they were turned around and quoting other people like David Barton. So some of it, I think, was done very innocently. You just, they just trusted these people knew what they were talking about. And they did not go and look up the original quotes to find out that some of these quotes, like some of the quotes by like uh, by Adams and some of these guys, if you read part of it, it sounds like they're a believer. But if you read the whole quoting context, I think there's one of them by Adams, about, we need the Holy Spirit in this, we need the Holy Spirit in that, and, and, you, and, and you're like, wow. But if you had read the whole quote, as Chris Pinto points out and shows in one of his documentaries, he gets to the end of the quote, and he says, the poor dupes, the poor dupes that believe this. Well, by editing the quote, it made it sound like he believed that. But when the quote's in full context, he was just saying, this is what these Christians believe. They believe in, we need the Holy Spirit in our families, we need the Holy Spirit in government, we need the Holy Spirit in our churches. And then he, they quit quoting it. Well, he goes on to say, these poor dupes of humanity believe this. So some of this has to be done deliberately, otherwise why would you take a quote that you have in front of you as you are reading it in off these documents, these letters, and then stop quoting it. Now, if you don't have the full quote, okay, but some of these people are holding up the whole letter. Mm-hmm. Why, would they, why would they just finish reading it? So I think that some of these guys have done this on purpose as propaganda, if you will, to convince Christians it's their religious duty to be involved in politics to the extent that they are, which for some of these people is the only thing they're really involved in with any conviction. 
They have very little biblical conviction. I, I noticed today one of the pro-family groups put out an article by a friend of mine, Janet Mefford, and we carry her article, uh, and she's written an article uh, criticizing Russell Moore, who runs the Ethics Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptists, the largest Protestant denomination or association in America. And Russell Moore, basically, in my opinion, is a leftist. I mean, he says Jesus was an immigrant because his parents took him to Egypt. Uh, he says that, you know, he pushes amnesty. I'm pretty sure he has worked with the evangelical, yeah, he has worked with the evangelical immigration roundtable funded by George Soros, according to Breitbart. Um, he's pushed creation care. He goes off to the Vatican and speaks there for the Pope. I mean, you don't get a whole lot more leftist, in my opinion, than someone like Russell Moore, the Southern Baptist, who, by the way, his Ethics Religious Liberty Commission, along with the uh, International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist, filed legal briefs last year defending the right as uh, of a mosque in New Jersey to build their mosque. And I guess if we don't let the Muslims build their mosque, somehow we're denying them religious liberty, and that'll come back to haunt us. Uh, no, when your mosques are teaching terrorism and anarchy and treason and, and becoming armories stockpiled with weapons, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not a religious liberty issue. But Russell Moore, this is who he is, and Janet Mefford wrote a great piece that we have posted on our website at worldviewtimes.com. Well, I noticed one of the pro-family groups picked it up and emailed it out today. And I thought, isn't that interesting? That's so like the religious right. Russell Moore has said some of the most disturbing and troubling, theologically, uh, doctrinally troubling and disturbing things for the last few years. You can hear crickets when it comes to the religious right. But as soon as he crosses the line with them by watering down the definition of marriage or anything else that he thinks uh, they think is an attack on the religious right or conservative political values, they're all over him. Again and again, the religious right has nothing to say when theology and doctrine is heretical. And that's why they can work with heretical people like Cindy Jacobs and Lou Engle and, and uh, Bill Johnson and, and uh, uh, Rick Joyner and some of these guys that think they're taking trips to heaven, swimming with Jesus, coming back, going back to heaven and talking with Elijah and Elisha. I mean, these people are woo but hey, we can work with them because they agree with their dominion of Christianizing America taking over. That seems to be what's going on. They don't have any problem with them theologically. But as soon as someone touches a, a, a value or a political or culture war issue they don't agree with, they're all over it. So the, the religious right had nothing to say virtually about Russell Moore for the last few years when we've been taking him on theologically and doctrinally. But boy, all of a sudden now this week, they want to come after him because they don't agree with his political positions. You see, that's the problem. We've used the Founding Fathers to convince these American people that the highest calling they have is the culture war, politics, and not doctrine. Well, you couldn't use the Founding Fathers really to push doctrine and doctrine purity because they weren't doctrinally pure. So what I think some of the dominionists have done, who want to Christianize America and establish the kingdom of God and take over have used the Founding Fathers to gin up the church to think that your highest calling isn't what Paul said. My first and foremost thing was the preaching of the gospel, defending the church from the men who've risen from within. You know, it's now my first calling is passing out a voter guide. And so I think in some ways, some of these people maybe deliberately have used the Founding Fathers' context of their quotes out of context on purpose to get the church in America to become this political body that was was really organized in the 1970s after the election of Jimmy Carter and the establishment of the religious right, which at the end of the day clearly is not about biblical purity. 
the gospel, defending the church. It's really about, I think, pride, pragmatism, and profit, and power. Pride, pragmatism, profit, and power. That's what it's all about. I mean, tell me, as I detail in the book, The Coming Religious Right, tell me why Jerry Falwell, who helped start the Mormon, destroy the moral majority, and I knew Jerry personally, he was on a TV show, and he was on mine, and I, and I spoke at Liberty University years ago, I mean, they would never have me today, I wrote for the Liberty Journal, but at the time, I didn't know all this about Falwell. When I was researching this book, The Coming Religious Right, the word right means empire or kingdom, and I think there's going to be coming a religious kingdom or empire, and trust me, many of the religious conservatives will be helping set it up because I think many of them will openly embrace the Antichrist. They may not know he's the Antichrist, but they're going to embrace him. He's going to sing their song, and they're going to dance to his tune. Trust me. But I didn't know this about Jerry at the time, but when I researched for this book, I found out Jerry Falwell was about to go belly up financially with the moral majority, according to the Los Angeles Times and other news site articles I cite, and took money from Mooney, some young moon of the Moonies, who ended up, of course, owning the Washington Times. And then, of course, Jerry Falwell was running around the world Speaking for Sung Young Moon, by the way, he's not the only religious right member to do that. Sung Young Moon thought he was the reincarnation of Christ. I mean, Sung Young Moon was had kids going from hotels to hotels, sleeping multiple kids on a floor, basically keeping them hidden out so their families couldn't find them and get them out of his little cult. And they were selling flowers and junk on the street. Why would a religious right member have anything to do with Sung Young Moon? Again, I have to say it comes down to power, power or pride, pragmatism, profit, and power. And I think the religious right has used the founding fathers, many of them knowingly, some of them not, many of them knowingly, out of context, to try to get the church to be their political organization for pride, pragmatism, and power. Yeah, and you make some good points, um, especially with the religious right. I think uh, a lot of it is, uh, most of it is innocent, misleading. Uh, you know, people are not trying to be misled, or um, it's more they get involved in things that, that fits around their idea of what's in the Bible or what they were told is in the Bible instead of uh, as you said you know being first and foremost to understand and then preach the gospel it's more uh, you know based around prophecy and, and ideas of the way they want things to be and it's very troubling to see the misguided uh, the people acting out uh, from misguided or non-biblical issues which they believe are biblical and and being misled by uh, people who are just wanting power and prosperity and the prosperity gospel in general. And we've seen Absolutely. that take over the, the churches, um, you know, in the last 30 years. And we've seen the monster that it's created, you know, this feel good gospel that, um, you know, give me your money and uh, you'll be blessed. And, you know, God wants you to be rich. Your best life now, as Joel Osteen uh, put it. And it's corrupted uh, the, the core of Christianity and the purity of, of the Bible. You're so you're so right. I, I, I hope the audience picks up on what you just said. By the religious right, twisting the scripture to convince us that our first calling was the Christianizing of America and winning the culture war. Which, by the way, the culture war is only a symptom of the spiritual condition of a nation. Uh, these people are swatting uh, at the symptoms, not the foundation wor- foundational worldview that creates these symptoms. So they were so busy swatting at abortion and same-sex marriage and all these things over the years, instead of getting to the heart of the issue, which is the heart. Jesus in Matthew 5 is talking on the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes to perhaps the most moral people in world history ever. There he is sitting, teaching believers and non-believers, 
Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots. And he tells them, you keep every little bit of the law, so you think. And then he goes on later to tell them you even tithe from your herb gardens. They're so fastidious. But they had neglected the weightier matters of the law. And loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You naturally love yourself. That's your sin nature. That's our default position. You don't have to teach a child to love themselves. They naturally do. That's why one of their first words is mind. So he says, you, you think you're keeping the law, but in reality is you're, you, and you do these moral things. You don't work on, on the Sabbath, and you tithe, even from your herb garden. He lays out all these moral things they were to do in the ceremonial law of Israel. But you're rejecting the weightier issues of the moral laws of God. And he goes after them in Matthew 5 on the internal and the heart. They had, they had achieved the external righteousness by appearance, legalism. But morally, they, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, dead men's bones, vipers, dogs, wolves. So here's this religious nation, and Jesus is saying, no, it's all about the heart. It's about acknowledging your whore. Well, of course, that contradicted what they understood because their culture said if you were rich is because you were more blessed of God than others. So the poor scums that are poor, well, they're only getting the karma, if you will, what they deserve. God's not blessed them, these poor people, like he's blessed us rich Pharisees. So they thought that their wealth was a sign of God's blessing on their life. And Jesus was saying, no, you've got to acknowledge your poor, bankrupt, a beggar. They're like, whoa, that's so contrary to them. They're not going to lower themselves to that. What's he saying? Spiritually poor. The Greek word that's used is not the Greek word that would be used of someone economically poor. It's the exact Greek word, because there's more than one word for it in the, in the Greek language. It's such a precise Greek word. It is a Greek word as one who is in the corner crouching and begging in the point that they are spiritually bankrupt. They cannot save themselves. Now, that is what we have going on with the moral majority today. There, and, and the religious right today. They, everything looks good morally, but let's get to the issue of the heart. And if you really are dealing with the issue of the heart, you will care about what God cares about. And He cares about the souls of men, the Great Commission. The church being the church. What is a church? What is the church? What are the characteristics of a Christian? What are the characteristics of church leaders? And yet the religious right doesn't seem to care about any of this. And I believe they're the Pharisees, they're the Sadducees, they're the Zealots, they're the Essenes that Jesus was speaking to in Matthew 5. It goes to the issue of the heart. Not the external, but the internal. And so a culture war is just the symptoms of a spiritual condition. And the religious right's always shooting at the symptoms. You know why? Because most of them don't have the biblical knowledge to take on the worldview issues from the scripture. I have hung out for a lot of years with much of the religious right. And I can personally tell you from personal experience, uh, most of them are not Christians. And I wasn't a Christian when I was hanging out with most of them. I thought I was, but I wasn't. I was a false convert. But most of them don't know anything about the Bible. Nothing. Very, very little. And what they do know is mostly out of context. Why? Some of them because they're not believers. Some maybe they are, but they haven't studied the Bible. Well, wait a minute. Why are you not studying the Bible? So much is about the external, not the internal. So, of course, we've lost the culture war. Because the only power to change a culture is to change people's hearts. And the only way you can change people's hearts is through 
the preaching of the gospel, and old things pass away, behold, all things become new. Because what does the scripture say? How can a leopard change his spots? He can't. It's only through the power of the gospel that we see people change and transformed. Whether we're talking about Minkai, Minkai uh, there in the jungle, that was one of the men that murdered Nate Saint uh, and Jim Elliott and uh, the, the, the missionary men in Ecuador that went to bring them the gospel and landed, and it was on the cover of Time magazine when this happened, what, back in the 1950s or whatever it was? How do you have a guy that's killing someone with a spear, you know, a jungle guy running around with a spear, killing people, killing these missionaries, their bodies floating in the river, as we saw from the black and white photos of Time magazine back in the 50s, to Min Kai traveling with Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint, around the world preaching the gospel? How is that? What changed this native murderer to a proclaimer of the gospel? And now the father who was murdered, his son, his best friends in traveling the world preaching the gospel with his the, the men that murdered his father. Only the gospel does that. How, how do we see people who, like Paul, the apostle Paul, who hated Christians and murdered Christians, become one of the greatest defenders of the faith, and God, the Holy Spirit, uses him to write a huge chunk of the New Testament? You don't. Yeah. These people weren't changed through, a, through 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 some political rally. They weren't changed through a voter guide. They weren't changed through moralizing and boycotting. Not that there's anything wrong with a voter guide. But these people have redefined the church, like you said. And what you said was that because they got away with it, look at what we have now today passing as Christianity. So the religious right redefined Christianity. They redefined the mission of the church, the purpose of the church, the goal of the church. They twisted scripture for their own political agenda. As a result, we end up with weak, stupid Christians, so-called. And now, 25, 30, 40 years later, well, since the 1970s, 30 years later, what do we have today? 35 years later, we have people like Joel Osteen and people who think they're taking trips to heaven, like Rick Joyner, and people who think they're reversing his direction, like Cindy, prophetess Cindy Jacobs, being embraced within mainstream evangelicalism. Why? Because we need their movement to add to the other movements, to this group, to that group, to be a political party, a political power base, coalition, to win elections. And is it any wonder today Christianity looks nothing like it should? But I think we got to get back to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. It's about the heart. No, you're exactly right. And, you know, seeing the amount of people who attend um, these different churches with, with pastors who kind of have taken their own gospel or, or their own uh, their own spin on the gospel and seeing the amount of people that are, are engaged in part of these churches, it's very alarming because when you see what they agree with and what they go to every week, you realize that they don't have any understanding of what's in the Bible and they must have never read it for themselves because if they did, how could they continue to participate in these different churches and denominations that have spun so far away from it? And once you, once you understand that what they are talking about is so far away from the gospel and then that they're deceived, it's very troubling and to wrap, I mean, you go back through the scriptures and you're trying to read and understand, you know, where, how is this disconnect happening? But it's very simple, as you just stated. They're not reading the scriptures. They're not familiar with the scriptures and they never and have been. Taught them how to study the Bible. It's unfortunate how few people have ever been taught how to study the Bible. And unless you're taught how to study the Bible, it can be hard to understand. Now, the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to help us to understand the Bible. 
But we also have to just understand what are some basic tools. And one of them is what most people don't do today is they take one verse and they try to apply it to themselves as though every verse in the Bible is written to them. And it's not. There are passages all throughout the Old Testament that only deal with the nation of Israel. And that's it. And yet I got an email a few weeks ago from, from a Dr. Jeff Myers with Summit Ministries talking about uh, the poor and our, and our responsibility as Christians to the poor. And he kept citing Leviticus and other Old Testament passages. And those passages have nothing to do with us as Christians in America today. They deal with Israel. Israel was a special nation. They were they dressed funny. They ate funny. Uh, they couldn't intermarry. The reason they had these funny ways about them for their dietary and customary of their dress was so they would not intermingle and intermarry with the pagans and thus mess up the pure bloodline that was going to bring us Yeshua, our Messiah. And so they were a particular people, and that would protect the nation of Israel. So everything was inward. But they were also inward where they were to take care of the poor because they were were a theocracy. They were a religious government, and they had their tithe. First tithe, second tithe, third tithe. First tithe was part of their tax, civic and ceremonial religious tax. They were a religious government. And they would bring food to the temple. And that's what we see in Malachi, bring your gifts to the storehouse. Pastors love to quit, twist that today. Bring your gifts to the storehouse. The churches, your local churches, your storehouse. Give me your money. Well, the, that's that's no, that's the Old Testament. That's the temple. It was a literal storehouse where you would bring grain and fruit and meat for the Levites to live on, who had no share in the land. They had no inheritance in the land. Their full-time job was caring for the temple. How are they going to survive? So that was to bring it in the storehouse for them to eat and survive. Your second tithe was you would bring your food to the shadow of the temple every few years for a festival. So it was food you were eating. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it says if you live too far from the, from the temple, then turn your tithe into money, and then when you get to Jerusalem, turn the tithe, uh, turn the turn the, uh, the the money back into tithes. So let me make sure you understand that. If you live too far from Jerusalem to bring your tithe, take the tithe, turn it into money, go to Jerusalem, take the money, turn it back into tithe, and it says oil, wine, ox, whatever your heart desires, and then eat it with your family. So it's not money, it's fruit, it's grain, it's wine, it's oil, and in some cases meat, uh, but mostly oil and grain, the trees, the fruit, the plants, and that's your second tithe. Your third tithe was the poor's tithe, where you would not harvest the corners of your field or pick every grape off the off the vine for the poor. If a bushel falls off your basket, you'll leave it for the poor. So they did care for the poor, but why? Because it was Israel, a theocracy, a religious government that wanted to show to the world this is what happens when we obey God. We're blessed. When you worship cats like you folks over in Egypt, that's what you get. When you when you have extreme poverty and all these horrible things happen, you know you don't have the protection of God like we do. We obey God and God protects us and provides for us. But also we always see God telling Israel, you don't stop this. In Leviticus 18 and in Deuteronomy, I'm going to punish you. And he gives them all kinds of things that are going to happen to them. And they do because they then fell over into paganism. But the whole purpose was Israel was inward, inward, taking care of their... We can't take verses that deal with a religious theocracy of Israel and then apply them to the church today and say, well, this is our response to the poor. No, there's not one verse in the New Testament that says Christians are to give money to the unsaved poor, like panhandlers on the street. There's not one verse that says we're to do that, not one. Every verse you see used 
to say that, like Matthew 5, is spiritual poverty, spiritual poor, or the poor inside the New Testament church. Right on the money. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report with Brandon House. His website is worldviewweekend.com. Bookmark his site. Check out Worldview Weekend Radio, the Worldview Weekend Hour. You can also check out his uh, latest news or uh, the library of research that he has on his website. We are going to be joined by Mr. House for the next hour, so make sure you don't go anywhere. But we still got a lot to get into. I, I enjoyed listening. I just enjoyed listening, sitting back and listening to you guys. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. I wonder if you're still with us. Oh, yeah. And I, I just, I was loving this. Loving this. We're at the break. We'll be right back after these short messages. Stay with us. and Hagman Report. I, you know, I just enjoyed that last segment. Sitting back, listening to the conversation. Isn't it interesting how... Uh, did you follow that progression, folks? I know you did. And uh, uh, thank you, Joe, because I I, I enjoyed myself uh, listening to Brandon, and, and, and that the, the progression of that conversation was just fabulous. And uh, it gave me a chance to really kind of reflect on... on Everything you guys were talking about, and, and of course, this hour is going to be equally powerful, if not well, equally powerful indeed. Before we get back to Brandon House, by the way, his website is worldviewweekend.com. That's worldviewweekend.com. Visit his website. Uh, some, some good stuff going on there, and of course, Brandon uh, Worldview Weekend broadcast airs Monday through Friday, one to two p.m. Central Time. The real time, however, is 2 to 3. That's Eastern. That's the real time. Before we get back to Brandon, let me ask you a question. Are you a small business looking to grow, but you can't afford the the big price tag associated with advertising and nationally syndicated radio shows? Are you looking to get the the most exposure for your product or service on a limited budget? Advertising on this program, the Hagman and Hagman Report. That's right. Advertising with us is the answer to your needs. Folks, we are unlike any other radio station in existence. We dominate the 7 to 10 p.m. time slot um, in, in a number of venues. We are a unique father-son investigative team. And there he is right there, my son. Uh, both career detectives having a combined 40 years of investigative experience. Gee, I wonder who has the most. Uh, yeah, look at me. Do, do, do I, yeah, look at me. No, no, look away, I'm hideous. Anyway, uh, look, we, we do appeal to the majority of people who are Christian, biased, uh, unapologetically Christian radio show, and we look at events, people, events, things from a Christian perspective. And, uh, you know, those are the people suffering under this, uh, this oppressiveness of political correctness, uh, which even the most conservative radio and television shows are governed by sometimes. It seems that you can find, uh, refresh, refreshment here with our show, which is why we're growing. We've, now we've created, and growing indeed, over 65 million downloads of our archives last year, or I'm sorry, 74 million. Uh, up from 65 the year before million in 114 countries, I believe it is. So it's really growing. Uh, we are, we are growing. Now, you just mentioned the countries. I'm going to show you something after the show. I think you'll be surprised. I think there's more than what you think. 
Well, I'm sure. I I just, we just, but anyway, look, we've created a (laughs) space. Thanks. As our guest sits there saying, when are these guys going to shut up? Okay. Uh, No, but we've created, folks, listen to this. We've created this very special limited time offer that will provide you with national and international exposure at a fraction of the price of national syndicated shows, uh, the big talkers, while getting your business in front of millions. You can ask all of our sponsors. You can experience the same level of advertising with your business right along with the big big advertisers like Pro Flowers, um, HelloFresh, Casper Mattress, Omaha Steaks. Just to name a few, all right. You'll reach the same number of potential clients as customers advertising on 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 our show as you would on many of the cable channels as well. Don't let the high cost of advertising in the market hold your business hostage. Break free from the punishing oh the punishing cost by taking advantage of our introductory offer right now. And I just talked with JD or the guy that's handling the marketing on this. We only have a few slots left. Okay for this limited advertising opportunity. So email opportunities at hagmanreport.com. That's opportunities at hagmanreport.com. I just wanted to introduce that opportunities at hagmanreport.com or go to hagmanreport.com, go all the way down and where it says get your, you know, get started today with your business. Click on that. And there's more information there. Opportunities at hagmanreport.com. Don't let your business get left in the dust, especially in 2017. Joe. Our guest uh, is is Brandon House, and uh, we got a number of things that we're going to get into um, in this hour. Uh, just a quick uh, detour. I was just skimming some uh, sites for interesting news, and I came across a a movie that is coming out called Raw. It's about cannibalism. Oh, I saw that. And I, the reason I came across it is because there's some some Pizzagate stuff that was related to some celebrities, some pictures that were attempted to be scrubbed off the internet. Yeah. We're, we're posted back up of some spear cooking stuff. Horrible stuff. Yeah. Uh, don't even go to that link, folks. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that up. more later uh, in, in future shows because there's a lot of stuff that I've been looking into that is... My stomach turn. Yeah, okay. I'm not I, even going to watch the trailer right yeah, now. Yeah, but. my stomach turn. And, and, and I... Yeah. Uh, Mr. House, this is one thing that we haven't talked about uh, since the last time you were on, was all this... Stuff that came out in the Podesta emails was Pizzagate and stuff related to Clinton, the cannibalism, the spirit cooking. Any any ideas or opinions on this? You know, uh, it, it's just so disgusting, isn't it? And troubling. And I think what was the most concerning to me is that someone like Eric Prince, who started Blackwater, everybody pretty much knows what Blackwater, that military paramilitary group is, I don't know if it's still there, but people want to go on Breitbart.com and type in Ed Prince, uh, Eric Prince, I'm sorry, Ed was his dad. Type in Eric Prince and look at what Eric Prince was saying about some of this stuff and investigations in the NYPD. Uh, I thought that was pretty shocking because of his background and his connections, what he was saying. And, uh, yeah, very interesting. Well, Brandon, um, Mr. House, i, I got to tell you this. I've got some inside no, back. Oh, Brandon, call me Brandon. All right, Brandon. I've got some inside channels and... Um, I, you know, look, I, I can't, I, I can't answer why some of the stuff has not come out yet. But you mentioned Eric Prince, and you mentioned that there is some very, very horrible, horrible, horrible things that um, they found. And I'm, I'm not even sure I can even go beyond that, except to say that we're not. You, people are not seeing 
the true findings. Uh, did, you, all did, the findings. You that, did you see that interview, that article of, of, of Eric on uh, Breitbart? Yeah. Yep. I mean, wow. I mean, that came out. I thought, I'm, I'm, this guy is pretty well connected. And for him to be saying these things and talking about his sources in the NYPD and you know, I think uh, I, I talked uh, to the same guy he talked to. Okay. 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 So there it is. I think the Prince family isn't the Prince family, and you got the Prince family and the, the Moss family. Um, isn't Eric's sister the one that is uh, going to be the Secretary of Education? I, I don't know because I don't know. I think the Prince family and the and the. DeVos, the, the, oh, the, oh, DeVos, I'm sorry, yeah, um. Moss. Yes. No, DeVos, it's DeVos. There's DeVos, DeVos, right. That's really wealthy. From Michigan. DeVos, is the latest to be Secretary of Education, isn't her last name DeVos? Yes, 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 the, uh, the wife of Rich DeVos, I believe, or sister of Rich DeVos. Her maiden name is Prince. I think that's, I think that's Eric's sister. Okay. All right. Yeah, I wasn't sure the family connection, but you're right. I, there is, if I remember correctly. Um, but the point I'm making is, uh, I mean, Eric, Eric, Eric is pretty well connected, and so for him to have given that interview to Breitbart is pretty fascinating. I, I think a lot of things that just have not come out, and I don't know if they're going to ever come out. But yeah, you know, know, you look at some of these people, and we go back to uh, Bohemian Grove, and I know that a lot of the conspirator folks that get out into the La La Land go on and on about some of this stuff. But I think it was a it's in my file downstairs, but wasn't it Vanity Fair that did a piece on the Bohemian Grove a few years ago? And they were even talking about how weird and, and druid and a mixture of uniforms that look like something like a KKK Catholic priest druid uniform and the, and the owl and the burning of Carrie on the lake and all of this paganism. And, of course, it was all intertwined in an, an article about ten years ago, seven, eight years ago, on the trees that they were concerned about. So it was more from an environmental standpoint, and it's lengthy article. But throughout the article, if you just ignore all that and just pull out the paragraphs where the guy's telling you what Bohemian Grove is really all about, you're going, ooh, this is really odd. I know Richard Nixon was quoted as saying that the folks that went to that were a bunch of, and he used the the uh, the word for a bundle of sticks. And you know, this is a weird group of people. And, and many of your internationalists, your statists, your globalists, and by the way, I think that article in Vanity Fair wanted to say how there was a lot of cross-dressing and, 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 and dancing and getting skits of these guys dressing like women and a lot of really troubling things. Uh, and again, this is coming from Vanity Fair, for Pete's sake. I mean, that's kind of a, uh, you know, it's not like a right-wing publication, obviously. So that this whole Bohemian Grove thing is really odd, but when you combine that with Burning Man, which is now I think Burning Man is more of the next generation of Bohemian Grove, Yep. And it's a lot of the same ideologies and ideas. It's just new age paganism. And when you go and you look at the things that were going on at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 10 and 11, and then you see the same paganism with the children of Israel falling into it uh, and worshiping um, uh, uh, Baal and Ashtaroth, and then in the epistles we see them worshiping Diana you know, these are all the same people. The Baal and the Ashtaroth. This is all going back to Babylon, Genesis 10-11. Semiramis, queen of Babylon. Her name is not in the scripture. She's referred to as the queen of heaven. It's not the Catholic Church that says it's Mary. No, there's no queen in heaven. There's only a king. But Nimrod dies. We don't know how. He goes to the sun, becomes a sun god. He pregnates 
the Queen of Babylon, Semiramis, with a sunbeam. She gives birth, immaculate conception, if you will, uh, to to Tammuz, who's really Nimrod reincarnated, so it's really the son of man, the son of God. It's 600 some odd years or more before the birth of Christ, Satan's setting up a false gospel and counterfeit. And you see them, and we see in the scripture, Nimrod mentioned, Genesis 10 11. We see Tammuz mentioned, the, the children of Israel are weeping for Tammuz, they're baking cakes for him. The women are uh, baking cakes, the men are collecting wood for that. Um, we see the Queen of Heaven mentioned, that's Semiramis, uh, that whole Babylonian concept. And you see it all through Genesis and going all through the scriptures under different names, as I said, Asheroth and Baal. And then you have the, the Masons with their god, Jehovah, Jehovah, Osiris, and Baal. Osiris and Baal, again, names that go right back to Tammuz or Nimrod in the Tower of Babel. They all have different names in different cultures. Why? Because when God confused their language at the Tower of Babel, they spread, and they took the Babylonian religion all over the world. So not all, but most of your world's false religions are all connected from their Babylonian pagan religious system from the Tower of Babel, which is why Revelation 17 says that the mother of harlots, she will gather her children back together. That's Babylon. Babylon, the woman who's riding the beast. That's Babylon. The text tells you in 17 and 18 that that woman riding the beast is Babylon. Mm. And so it's all going to go back to Babylon, 58 miles south of Baghdad, where it says she's the mother of, of harlots. Well, she's bringing all of these kids back together to Babylon, where it all started in Genesis 10 and 11, and then they took this Babylonian pagan religions all over the globe under different names, which is why I can take you to the, to the museum in Baltimore. I think I told you one of our programs the first time I was with you and show you a statue of a woman, Egyptian woman, holding a child, and people say, oh, look, Mary holding Jesus. No, it's 600 years B.C. Right. So, so what Satan has done is create a false gospel system that is based on Gnosticism, or hidden knowledge, higher knowledge, goes right back to the Founding Fathers we were talking about earlier, Age of Reason and Thomas Paine, and all that continues today in the New Age movement. And it manifests itself in things with internationalists and globalists who want to build a one-world religious system, yep. just like the Tower of Babel. It's consolidating power. God said, procreate and scatter. They said, no, we'll stay and consolidate power and we'll be like God. And so what these people are going to do again is go back to Babylon and build a world government, trying it one more time. And it's all based on a rebellion. Man is God. We are like God. We have higher knowledge. We're more special than you are because we're, we have been entertained a thought that most people can't handle. That's what the elite think. And it's their new age pantheism. All is God. Pantheism. God is in all. Worship of Mother Earth. Worship of Gaia. Gaia, by the way, is just another name for Simmerans. I think I told you in our first program together several months ago. Even the Congressional Medal of Honor Society says the Statue of Liberty is Semiramis, Queen of Babylon. Yes. Yeah. So we have the Masons. We have all of these esoteric, occultic religions based on the ascent of man. Man can save himself. Man can ascend and save himself with hidden knowledge. And, of course, then you have the, the idea of drugs and altered state of consciousness with people like Timothy Leary, tune in, turn on, drop out, and Maharishi with Transcendental Meditation, and and this getting in touch with your higher self. Glenn Beck is pushing a lot of this stuff as well with his New Age Mormonism. And so are we shocked that it manifests itself, Babylonian religion stuff, in things that involve sexual perversion? Because if you go into the New Testament, what do you see? You see Paul 
generically referring to Gnosticism, particularly also in 1 John, uh, it hadn't really been given a name as of yet, but it's the same idea, and it's being confronted. And you also see them going to the temples and involved with temple prostitutes, having sex. Now, this is, this is again, when you have this paganism going on, and they're having sex with the temple prostitutes, which is a thought... Uh, they thought this is how they could become in touch with the divine. And you also had transsexuals, transgenders, in these temples. So nothing is new under the sun, folks. This is, we've, this, we've seen all this before in past uh, years, hundreds and thousands of years ago, hundreds or thousands of years ago. This is not new. But it all stems from this idea of paganism and some of the sexual things that go on within the pagan religions, which manifest themselves in the scriptures with these temple prostitutes. And yet today we see people being immoral and doing strange, odd things. But it is all going back to Babel, and it will eventually culminate in Genesis, or in Revelation 18, 17, and 18. And the woman that writes the beast, the woman being Babylon, the beast being Antichrist's one world system, and the perversion that goes with all that. So am I shocked at things that I hear and read, that internationalists, statists, globalists, people who think they're gods, little gods running around on earth, are doing? No. Doctrinal failure and moral failure go hand in hand. Are we shocked when we find out that false teachers in the word of faith who say they're little gods running around on earth, who, who say that God was a man who later became, uh, who later became God, that God, that Christ went to hell as a man, defeated Satan as a man, and you can defeat Satan as a man, that Jesus ceased to be God on the cross when he cried out, Father, why is thou forsaken me? He stopped being God, went to hell for three days as a man, defeated Satan as a man, and was resurrected as God, and you too can be a little God running around on earth. Are we shocked at this perversion with an evangelicalism called the word of faith? It's not evangelicalism, it's not Christian, but it's embraced by the religious right, so again, they can build their coalition and win elections, but has more to do really with pagan religions of Babylon and how these groups can all get together and we'll work with a guy who says, look, I'll deal with the wars, and the, the, the poverty and, 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 and terrorism, and, and he'll talk religious, and he'll perform counterfeit miracle signs and wonders, the Bible says, that would deceive even the elect if it was possible, but it's not. And you can see how these groups are all going to go along and get along because it's a mixture of people who have all been doctrinally deceived and... That is what we're headed toward. So are we shocked that even, whether it's so-called evangelicals or Christians or Word of Faith or New Apostolic Reformation or Mormons who are doctrinally deceived are into this garbage, any more than we should be shocked at the internationalists, the statists, and the globalists, and people like George Soros, who, who told 60 Minutes several years ago, he believed that man created God in his own image. Edward Coley, who works with Oprah, wrote that in Chapter 2 of one of his books. Are we shocked that these same people want a new world order and are doing the same thing within Freemasonry and occultism and their secret societies that come from the Tower of Babel when that's where it's all going? Which is why I wrote the book, The Coming Religious Reich, Empire Kingdom. And it's all going back to Babel in this world religious system I'm describing. And that's a, folks, that's a fantastic book. If you haven't picked that up and read it, that is, a, that answers a lot of things. And it ties, actually it ties a lot of our guests, the, the books that they've written together. Uh, so if you have the chance to, to grab that book, uh, The Coming Religious Right, grab that book because that's a great book. Thank I you. highly recommend it. Uh, and, and that, that, what you just said there, that, that's amazing. That whole, um, you just laid it out. I mean, it's beautiful. It's, it's, you just explained 
I don't and know. by the way, if people like this kind of thing, we, we, we have a conference coming up April 28, 29, and 30 in, Bran- in uh, wasn't Branson, but we moved this year to Lake of the Ozarks, 1,500 miles of shoreline, Lake of the Ozarks, Tantara Resort. And I've got six, seven national speakers, and they're going to be speaking on some of these kind of topics. People mm-hmm. like Ron Rhodes, Mark Hitchcock, Abner Chow, uh, Sharam Hadian, a former Muslim. Right. From Iran, who became a believer. His daddy was high-ranking in the Iranian government, military. They they left six weeks before the fall of the Shah. He'll be with us. We're, we're going to have one of the speakers, Ron Rhodes, uh, speaking on uh, cyber attacks and the new way of warfare and what how it's really setting up, I think, for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. He's also going to speak on the biometrics and really uh, a coming economic cashless society through biometrics. Uh, Abner Chow is going to be speaking on really an overview of the Bible, Re- Genesis to Revelation. Some of the things I just quickly did right then would be some of the things that he could probably touch on. But if, anyway, if they're interested in attending a conference like this with like-minded conservative Christians on world events and understanding the world through the lens of the Scripture, all they got to do is go to our website, uh, worldviewweekend.com forward slash Ozarks, worldviewweekend.com forward slash Ozarks, and they can come to a Bible conference where we actually use the Bible as the starting point for saying, does any of this look like anything the Bible talks about? So we can get an idea of where we're going. It's also a great time of fellowship, and it's at a beautiful resort, and it's extremely cheap, $75. We haven't raised our ticket price in 14 years, and it's off-season, so we negotiated great prices. But we'd love to have some of your audience come join us for that Bible conference, and they get all the details at worldviewweekend.com forward slash conferences. So thank you for letting me mention that. Oh, yeah, no worries, and that's great. And tell me again when that is, June? Uh, uh, April. April 28, 29, and 30. Okay, April. The Rolling Hills of the Ozarks in, on Lake of the Ozarks, which is the largest, was, I think, and still is, the largest man-made lake uh, in America, 1,500 miles of shoreline. Which, by the way, if you want to do an interesting study uh, of the free market system, that study in itself of Lake of the Ozarks, built during the Depression with, I think, if I remember correctly, $8 million, private money, they went in there and they timbered the land, the, the land, took the timber and sold it. They bought the communities and towns and they disassembled them, most of them. They they had one or two they didn't get to before they flooded the area. And every now and then the the the, uh, the uh, 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 company that owns it, the energy company that owns the lake, would let the, the water out of the dam and let it down too long, too low, and you'd see a steeple sticking up out of the water. But I don't think they ever let the water down too low for that anymore. But they bought all the little towns, dismantled them. They, they timbered it, sold the timber. Then they built the dam, providing jobs during the Great Depression. And you can look it up online, building of the Lake of the Ozarks Dam, the Bagnell Dam, and you'll see black and white photos. And then they flooded it, and now they sell it off as cheap energy. And then they sell off the land as lakefront. And it was all done during the Depression and provided incredible jobs. I think the whole thing was done with $8 million, not $1 of government money. It's quite a study in the free market system and the ingenuity and free market system of America at play during a time when the president in the White House was an outright socialist FDR. So that's just an interesting side note. A lot of history there at Lake of the Ozarks. Indeed. Wow. Okay. we got about um, three and a half minutes before the top of the hour. Time flies. Wow. Yeah, and uh, before we brought you on, Brandon, you mentioned a few other um, topics that you would want to get into. And uh, we've only hit just a few of those. Um, yeah, because we don't really plan a lot of this, do we? No. You, you know, I, I love that, though, because it, 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 where the spirit takes you, you know, it, it's 
it's yeah. interesting. It seems like, and and we're watching the uh, emails roll in, Brandon, and and uh, pe- people are are just your last uh, answer or discussion about Babylon. We, we a ton of emails, uh, a page of emails anyway. That's good. Uh, you know, saying, wow, okay, what a great, uh, concise explanation. <laughs> Say, oh, what a jerk. Who's this jerk you got on tonight? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, one of the stories that we, you mentioned, uh, before we came on was a story about, uh, Israel bombing a military airport, uh, near Damascus. And, um, the airport is M-E-Z-Z-E-H, um, Mezzi, uh, military airport west of Damascus. Yeah. Um, Accusing Tel Aviv of supporting terrorists after, uh, this is serious state news, is accusing Israel of supporting terrorism after Israeli jets bombed the military airport west in Damascus. They also said there would be repercussions for Israel uh, for the flagrant attack on the military base, according to state TV, citing a Syrian army command spokesman. It also linked the alleged strike to Israel's support of terrorist groups. And, um, well, several missiles were fired at the airport's compounds and, uh, from northern Israel. And the strike damaged uh, a number of compounds and uh, and screwed up their, the military facility in Damascus. And uh, there's no information about the death toll and or uh, info about the uh, airstrike immediately available. And it says that the base is reported to house Syria's elite Republican guards and special forces. And there's a lot of pictures and stuff going around on Twitter. Um, is this just more uh, Middle East meddling or... Um, do you think that this might escalate? Well, you know, Syria is such an interesting topic because no, I'm not a fan of Assad, but so many of the people trying to push out Assad, we're going to, I'm pretty sure, put someone like ISIS in charge. You know, you saw the destabilization of Egypt. I mean, no, we weren't fans of the leaders of Egypt, but they left Israel alone, and then all of a sudden you have this Arab Spring, you get the Muslim Brotherhood and their guy in power, and, and you see the same thing, Gaddafi, nobody's a fan of Gaddafi, but he largely left Israel alone. I think once Reagan put a missile down his tent back in the 80s, he kind of learned his lesson. But there seems to be more going on here. It seems as though really what the ultimate goal was is for Qatar and Saudi Arabia to build an oil pipeline, and they want to, to sell off fuel to Europe, and it needs to come to Syria. Well, Russia isn't going to let that happen. They have... They, they are selling a lot of the oil to Europe. They don't want any competition. Uh, Putin's using the price of oil to keep Mother Russia afloat and try to bring her back together with the breakaway republics. And so he uses terrorism, and he at times funds it and supports it and trains them. Some of the leading people who have been terrorists, people right up there with uh, bin Laden, some of his number two and three men were trained by the KGB and were KGB agents. This is a matter of fact, and I've interviewed some former KGB agents who have been on my program. So he uses the terrorists to keep the price of oil high with the destabilizing the region. But we come back in the break, I can tell you what's going on with Syria and Russia and some biblical implications. In Isaiah 17, it says eventually Damascus will be wiped out. Absolutely. Very interesting. Uh, Yeah. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that after the break. And, you know, we know what's in Scripture, what it says about Damascus, and what it looks like now and what's happened to it. The war-torn region almost resembles a ruinous heap. Uh, but we'll, we'll get uh, Brandon's take on the other side. Stay with us. You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report. we got one segment left.
this edition of the Hagman Hagman Report. Our final segment with Brandon House, his website, worldviewweekend.com. That's worldviewweekend.com. Good friend of the show, and, and he's got a lot of great information. It was just, it was amazing how, um, when, when, and I'll say this one, one more time because I've said this a lot, that when you look at current events, whether they're domestic or geopolitical, but, but world events, uh, in totality, through the, uh, uh prism of scripture, and biblical prophecy, things begin to make more sense to you. And I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us. Thank you for your belief and your trust in us. You know, it's it's amazing. I, um, and I just want to say thank you again. Thank you for your support. We are we are struggling, and I want to tell you we're struggling to um, to bring you the best product possible. And we do rely on your support. So we appreciate each and every one of you, whether it's. Whether it's a prayer at night, a prayer during the day, or even if you send a letter, an email, whatever, we thank you for that. And uh, if you've blessed us financially, thank you so much for that. Because without without that, we could not stay on the air. So Brandon House is our guest, WorldViewWeekend.com. He's got a great conference coming up in April. So uh, in in uh, Lake on the Ozarks, Lake of the Ozarks, Lake of the Ozarks, right? Yeah. And before the break, um, and during the break, there's uh, two things that. Um, you said, Brandon, that uh, one, you got an email about how we should study the Bible, and two, the Russian or the Syrian Russia and Isaiah 17. Yes. I'll let you start where you want. Okay, well, we're talking about Russia and Syria, so I'll finish that. But the, Isaiah 17 seems to speak about the destruction of Damascus. Theologians argue as to when that might happen. But uh, it's just interesting that Israel is, is striking so near. Damascus, and not too long ago, Assad said something about even if you destroy Damascus, I'm not going anywhere. And I, Whoa, that's kind of prophetic. <laughs> Does he realize what Isaiah 17 says? But no, uh, this relationship between Russia and Syria, you know, they want a warm water port. Putin does not want Qatar and Saudi Arabia to get a pipeline going through there. And uh, yet, then you have these people, these these these, these rebels. Uh, which many of them people think are really ISIS. And I have to wonder at what level the Obama administration and Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State weren't funding these people and giving them weapons, and that there wasn't the goal of of uh, pushing out Assad so and using ISIS to do it so that Qatar and Saudi Arabia could get their pipeline through Syria. And I think you might want to do a search on whether or not the Clinton Foundation ever received any money from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> So there seems to be a lot that the American people never get told about why we have the foreign policy we have. Unfortunately, so many of the wars we've done and go to also are not about the reasons they're promoted. It seems to be a lot of times just about the military-industrial complex making a lot of money and the politicians who are put into power by the bankers and the military-industrial complex and empower them and get them into office to then go to war. And a lot of times the, the military-industrial complex, not only do they benefit from that, making the military hardware, but then many of the big banks and corporations benefit from it for some of the uh, business dealings and things that are going on behind the scenes. And so we're we're lied to again and again and told things about why we're doing this and it's the best interest of the Amer- of America and our national security and and we're fighting the bad guys. And a lot of times we're not fighting the bad guys. We're empowering and funding and and arming the bad guys. The really go- real goal is nation building. It's globalism and in some cases it's just flat out greed. Who is willing to grease the skids to get the government to do these things? And the corporations and the bankers and the military complex that work with them all. So, the great speech by Eisenhower when he left uh, office in his farewell address about the military-industrial complex. So, anyway, Syria is interesting because I'm no fan of Assad, 
but I certainly don't want to see someone come over and take uh, his role that is going to then make things harder on Israel. But it's interesting to watch Syria and to watch Putin and then to watch this relationship with Iran and then to watch the relationship with Turkey and, and Turkey now going from really a secular government under Erdogan to his supposed coup that's now allowed him to kill a lot of people and get rid of some police and judges and, and military people and others uh, and go to a flat out you know, really a, now a, a religious Muslim government. But it all seems to be that coalition building that we see represented in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And we'll be getting into some of that at our Worldview Weekend at, at Lake of the Ozarks in April. But the, I mentioned all that. Now, as far as studying the Bible, you know, one of the things so many of these people do is they take the scripture out of context and then they try to apply it to today. And we talked earlier in the first hour about people doing that with poverty and talking about the poor and they pull out verses that deal with the poor in, Le- in, in Leviticus that are dealing with the nation of Israel, which is not the church, and it was a unique nation and a theocracy, and it's part of their tax system and their religious government. And you can't just rip that out and then apply it to us today, as people do. Or they take what's talked about in Matthew 25, where Jesus says, you know, I was I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was thirsty and you gave me water. And, and, and Jesus is committing these people. And people will use that to say, you see how we're supposed to help the poor. This is social justice. We need to do these things. Well, that's not the context of Matthew 25. This is Jesus setting up his millennial kingdom, and he's dividing the sheep from the goats, believers from non-believers. And so it has nothing to do with today, and he's commending the believers of the tribulation, the tribulation saints, who turned around and were ministering to tribulation saints who were in prison for their faith. So it's Christians ministering to Christians, but more accurately, during the tribulation period, we would not call them Christians because the church is gone. Uh, We would call them tribulation saints. And so it's tribulation saints ministering to tribulation saints and being committed by Jesus in Matthew 25. But Matthew 25 is always used to promote the idea of it's our calling as, as Christians to give our money to the poor. I was talking about this on the radio and explaining some of this on the air uh, and giving some of the scripture that's used out of context to promote, promote social justice. And um, uh, the Bible talks about the, the, the uh, Pharisees, uh, the rich, and they would come to a party and they would want to sit at the head table and be seen with the master, but they wouldn't want to invite the poor. Well, again, uh, this verse is used to say, you know, Jesus says, invite the poor to your parties. And so people want to use this verse to say, well, see, Jesus wants us to, to feed the poor. But, no, Jesus was talking about the issue of the fact that these Pharisees wanted to be seen with the at the head table because everything was about image. Everything was about themselves. Everything was about selfishness. Everything was about a spiritual, righteous look external but not internal dealing with the heart and if you really want to be you know if you really are are wanting to do what is right why don't you invite some of the poor well they wouldn't they would never do that because again they thought because they were so spiritually elite that their richness was based on the fact that they've been blessed of god that's why they were rich so people try to take scripture out of context and jesus wasn't there teaching it same thing with a good samaritan they take the story of the good samaritan and say you know this would be a good neighbor this is what you should be doing the Good Samaritan is a, a story about that there's no one good but Jesus Christ. He's the only one that is good. And Jesus could really stand for the Good Samaritan, someone that gives up for someone they that, that they don't even know, uh, the, 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 the stranger, if you will. Jesus gives up. He pays their debt. Just as the Samaritan left and paid for the man's debt at the hotel, Jesus paid our sin debt. He came to us when we were broken and when we were impoverished spiritually and bankrupt spiritually and dying on the side of the road. And he gave of himself and he poured out his riches 
and he sacrificed and was selfless and he saved us. There's no one good but him. You see, the, 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 the Pharisees, the religious leaders, thought to entrap. A Jewish lawyer stands up thinks he's going to entrap Jesus and talk about how he's kept the law. And Jesus says, you know, if you really think you've kept all of the law, let's deal with the issue of the heart. Are you really a good person? And he starts telling the story of the Good Samaritan and says there's really no one good but Christ. But see, we've taken the Good Samaritan story, we've made it about social justice. And I can take you all through the scripture and keep showing you where this happens. And the context is always going to show us it's not social justice, socialism. That would contradict scripture and private property, not stealing. Thou shalt not steal. Galatians 4 talks about uh, caring for the poor. But if you look at the context, it's again inside the church where the New Testament church never lets someone inside the New Testament church be poor unless it's consequences of their sin. They care for them. We even see in the epistles where Paul says to take care of the widows and the orphans. But there's a caveat. If they have a family member, the family member is supposed to care for them. And he who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel or unbeliever. So if they don't have a family member that will care for them, then we do it as a New Testament church. That's inside the church. Now that doesn't mean that it's wrong to set up a soup kitchen and to give food and the gospel like the Mission Garden, the Union Gospel Mission or the Pacific Garden Mission in downtown Chicago. But the, you use those things as a platform to give the gospel. There's nothing that says we redistribute the wealth just to give people money. That doesn't fix their, their problem, which is not really external, it's internal. Most issues today of poverty go to the issue of moral relativism, situational ethics, consequences of sin. And when we can have people change their worldview by becoming a believer in Christ and placing their faith and trust in Christ alone, and now having a whole new set of standards and values that are derived from a person that has been regenerated, they begin now, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to study their Bible and make good choices, whereas now they're making bad choices that have consequences. And I was talking about this on the radio, and a bus driver from Texas emailed me and said, Brandon, I see it in, in where I drive the bus. These people that are panhandlers, I pick them up regularly, and they get on the bus, and they're boasting how they made five or $600 tax-free that day. They look horrible. They dress horrible. They're making five, $600 a day cash, no taxes being paid, and that's why they choose to live. And people giving them money think they're somehow doing them a favor. They're being scammed. Because I see people all the time offer them food, and they will tell them, no, I don't want food. I want money. And, again, I can go through many examples of where people think somehow this is being a Christian, but yet, if you want to be a, a real Christian, a follower of Christ, why not preach the pure, unadulterated gospel? There they is, want to. Yeah. So people today, what they do is they twist scripture, and they don't read the verses before it and ask, who wrote this? To who was it written? Why was it written? And you'll find a lot of the verses that are, and things that are talked about in the Old Testament are written to Israel. We're not Israel. And people that believe that America is Israel or the church is Israel, that's called replacement theology. They're replacing Israel with either America or the church. Most of them do it with the church. They think Israel has now been replaced by, the church has replaced Israel. No, God is going to fulfill his promises to the nation of Israel. And the, we, there is no reason for the church to go through the tribulation, which is why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Not because I believe in some escapism, because I believe we could still have an EMP attack on America. I believe we could have a cyber attack that puts all the power out. I believe we could have plagues and all kinds of horrible terrorist attacks, terrible things. I mean, look at the Christians in communist China and formerly behind the Iron Curtain in Cuba. No, you can be persecuted, horrible. Sure. Look at the apostles. But I, I don't see the purpose of the tribulation being for any reason other than to bring the people of Israel to Yeshua. And that's what Ezekiel 38 is all about. God intervenes. He destroys the enemies of Israel. And 
the whole world knows he's the Lord. And then you have these Jewish evangelists who go all over the world preaching the gospel. And, the, and God fulfills his ultimate promise to the nation of Israel. And at the end of the, of the tribulation, you have all these people who are dead and been judged and destroyed. And who's left? Tribulation saints, Gentiles and Jews. And what happens to those Jews? They go right into the millennial kingdom where Christ rules and reigns and does exactly what he says he's going to do. He gives them the land. He fulfills his covenant, his promise to them. I, I see no reason for the church to go through the tribulation. And when you understand the reason for the tribulation, which is to reach the heart of the Jewish people for the sake of the gospel and to bring them to Yeshua, when you understand that, you understand what God is doing and why these things in the Middle East are happening and what they're setting up, ultimately to fulfill the promise to the Jewish people. And they're a special people. Does that mean we agree with everything that nation of Israel does? No, because I separate the nation and government of Israel from the Jewish people. Uh, and, 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 and that's where, I, I don't mean to interrupt you here, um, I, I, and I don't think we, we really have to agree necessarily on, on the timing of the rapture, which is a really contentious subject, but that, uh, you know, that aside, move that aside just for, for a little bit. Something you just said here about agreeing with the nation of Israel, it, what, what we're seeing now, and, and, and this is more disturbing than any talk about the timing of the rapture. Well, what I'm seeing now, and what I'm actually getting emails about, any time that we defend Israel, um, or, or I'm going to be kind of precise on this, any time we talk about Israel um, saying that we have to, uh, uh, again, I want to be precise, be, you know, uh, protect or, or at least be behind Israel, uh, we get accused of uh, being a Zionist. Yeah. Yeah. Zionist. Zionist, yeah. Exactly. And, and what you said, we have to separate the government of Israel from the is. people of Israel from the religions of Israel. There it is. Um, Israel is largely, a, uh, it depends on what region of Israel I live in. Uh, there are parts of Israel that are basically New Age, Kabbalah, New Age. Sure. Then you have the part of Israel that are filled with homosexuals. They have a homosexual gay flow parade, you know, the whole rainbow thing that all goes on in Israel. Then you have the secular Jews. They don't, you know, kind of like people in the Bible Belt. They, you know, they all love Jesus, but you know, they. What does that mean down here? You know, the Bible Belt. Same thing in Israel. They're Jews, but they don't follow Yeshua. They don't read the Torah. They don't care. Right. And then you have your Orthodox Jews, who you see wearing the, the long beards and the hats and at the praying wall. So, and then you have people like Benjamin Netanyahu, who obviously is a. He would be a religious Jew, but he runs a. But he doesn't wear the beard and the hat at all. So he's. He's, a, he's, he's, he's Jewish and he practices Judaism, uh, but there, he's not of the segment that obviously wears the beard and the hats. They're more than Orthodox. He, but he is running a secular government. It, they don't have a religious government. They don't have a temple. They don't, they don't tithe, uh, the, first, the third tithe over there. They're not sacrificing. Now all that's going to happen. They're building the Levite priesthood now. And they will have those Levites doing that. People say, well, how will they know who's descendants of the Levites? Well, God knows. He created them. He knows what their DNA is. But they're already working to build the robes, and they've created the robes and the instruments for the temple. They want to build the temple, and eventually they're going to get this tribulation temple. But we separate the secular government of Israel from the Jewish people. And that doesn't mean we agree with everything the Jewish people always do or their government does. I personally am not so sure we should be funding Israel. They're pretty well off. They provide fruit and flour to the world. They have an amazing uh, economy. They have an amazing technology. I mean, the Silicon Valley in, in America... You know, is rushing to keep up with what Israel's doing. They have an incredible air force. I don't know they really need our financial as well as they just need our military support. And they take a lot of stuff we give them, and then they like some of the airplanes and they redo them. 
on the inside of the cockpits. But uh, I don't know that we need to be giving them just tons of money. I don't know we need to be giving a lot of nations any money, quite frankly. I'm tired of it. But uh, I agree with you on that. I, but what is real as yeah. a nation exists? And, and most Americans don't know that the world government in the 1920s uh, at the Belfar uh, Treaty, they actually, as a n- group of nations, got together in 1920, 21, and 22 and affirmed the nation of Israel and that land being theirs. Now, the nation of Israel didn't formally come along until 1948, but they affirmed that land as belonging to the Jewish people uh, with this uh, tr- world group of nations in 1920, 21, and 22. And we've talked extensively about that on the radio and television, and, and for whatever reason, Israel doesn't even talk about that enough to say, wait a minute, even in 1920, 21, and 22, there were world governments that came together with these treaties and acknowledged this was our rightful land. There is no such thing as the Palestinian state. They don't have any right to the land over there. And a lot of this is anti-Semitism, and it's demonic to the core, because the Bible is written by the Jewish people that the Holy Spirit moved upon and gave us the word of God. Satan hates the Jewish people because they gave us not only Yeshua, Messiah, through the Jewish line, that Satan has tried to corrupt many times. I'm convinced that's what was going on right before the flood in Genesis 6. You have demonic entities having sex with with women, probably demons, possessing men, having sex, and spawning off this Nephilim, and the blood comes along right after that, destroys it. Satan's trying to corrupt the bloodline, I think, for Yeshua. Then after the flood, we see a bunch of other junk going on. We see Tower of Babel. We see all this stuff happening, and then you see, and we keep going, and I could go through other things, but you go to you go to Nazi Germany, and you have a Hitler trying to kill all the Jews, because, you see, we can get rid of the Jews, then we don't have... This, this, this great revival of the Jewish people that manifests itself into what ultimately is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel and him giving them this, that, that land and him being their king and ruling in the millennium. If the Jewish people are all dead and gone, that promise can't be fulfilled. God's a liar. It's all over and Satan wins. So people have to understand what is going on, why these world events happen. And so when, when we look at Israel, we have to understand why this is a special nation and why the, Jew, why the Jews are always under attack. They gave us Yeshua, they gave us the word of God as the Holy Spirit moved upon them, and there is a plan to be fulfilled with them in the future that must be fulfilled for the Bible to be accurate and to come to pass. And so you do have people who have Jewish last names that are bankers, but I'm more Jewish than a lot of these people. <laughs> but, but that doesn't justify anti-Semitism right. any more than someone that has a German last name saying, well, they must be a Nazi. No, I mean, come on. There are a lot of people who are Jewish descent in America had nothing to do with not the Nazi Holocaust or anything else. They just have a Jewish. This is stupid. And the anti-Semitism at its root core is is satanic. It is demonic. And if you understand why it's demonic, because of what Satan's trying to do to the Jewish people, has tried to do to the Jewish people, and is trying to disrupt the fulfillment of God's plan and the evangelistic outreach of the Jewish people, who will indeed become believers in Yeshua, and who God will give that land to, and will rule and reign as king from Jerusalem, then you understand why it is that Satan is trying to stop that instead of his own Reich or kingdom in Babylon. He wants a spiritual Jerusalem, and it will be in Babylon. And it's Satan in Isaiah 14 saying five times, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will be like God. And eventually he gets a spiritual Jerusalem in Babylon. But his kingdom is going to be wiped out, Daniel 2.44. God's kingdom will come. It will crush Satan's kingdom. And of God's kingdom, there will be no end. 
So until people understand what God is doing with the nation of Israel, the epicenter of the world, and going on in the Middle East, they won't understand why all this is happening and why these coalitions between the Marxists and the Muslims are being made. Remember Karl Marx said, my aim and theme in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. This was a self-hating Jew, by the way, Karl Marx. Dethrone God and destroy capitalism. The Marxists and the Muslims are united in their hatred of capitalism, Christianity, and the Jews. And, and make no mistake, the, 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 the Marxist under al-Husini, the Mufti of Jerusalem in the 1930s and 40s, worked with Hitler, had over 10,000 Muslims wearing the Nazi uniform, which, by the way, if you go look those up and look at the Bosnian Muslims wearing the red fez's hats with the crescent moon and sword, and on their Nazi uniform is the swastika and a sword of Islam. And they were Nazis. The Nazis and the Muslims working together for their hatred of the Jewish people to eradicate them. And the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem recruited them for Hitler so that he would be given Jerusalem to run from. So people understand what's going on. Nothing has really changed at all. By the way, you have your Shriners. Not all Masons are Shriners, but all Shriners are Masons. And the Shriners wear these little red fez hats. Well, go look up one online, the real ones online. Yep. Crescent, moon, crescent moon and sword, yep. Islam. What do the Masons worship? They worship Jehovah, Jehovah, Osiris, and Baal. goes back to the Tower of Babel. Once again, they have universalism in their imagery. You have the Nazis working with the Muslims, wearing the little hat. Why? Because in Morocco, the Muslims killed the Christians and then dipped their hats in their blood, and that's the red hat and fez, which your Shriners wear today with the crescent moon and sword on it, and the red fez and the red hat. So it's all connected, and it's all there for people to see if they know what it is they're looking at. And yet, of course, what do you have? Church denominations and associations like the Southern Baptist filled with Masons and Shriners, pastors that are Masons and Shriners, deacons that are Masons and Shriners, and when a few pastors tried to implement a resolution in the 90s at the convention of Southern Baptists condemning Freemasonry, they could never get it passed. Too many of them were Masons and Shriners. And yet, we wonder why we have this mixture of paganism and evangelicalism and so-called Christianity that's not Christian at all, and in really, in a lot of ways, it's setting up for the coming of a religious right. And now you have the Southern Baptist Convention through the International Mission Board and the Ethics Religious Liberty Commission and Russell Moore filing legal briefs to defend the building of a mosque in New Jersey, well, no wonder a lot of the Southern Baptists don't care. They're Masons who Masonry teaches it doesn't matter what God you worship, if it's Islam or not. You have Shriners wearing the, the red fez with the crescent moon and the sword of Islam on it, so we wouldn't be shocked that they have no problem building a mosque for the Muslims. I mean, this, and by the way, you, you have the, the Masons will lay the cornerstone, and you go to YouTube and see the Masons doing this in Washington, D.C. in the early 90s, and they're pouring the oil and the wine and the corn on the cinder block cornerstone and, and, and commemorating this, the cornerstone as Masons, the oil, the wine, and the corn. Well, you go over to Hosea, and what are the children of Israel doing? They're offering up the oil, the wine, and the corn to Baal, Satan. Baal also being... Tammuz, out of Genesis 10. It's the Babylonian religion. So they're offering up the things God gave them, oil, wine, corn, the children of Israel are, to Baal. What were the Masons do? Oil, wine, corn. <laughs> we see the same paganism. It just keeps being recycled. If you understand where we've come and the context of the scripture, you'll understand where we're going. So now these groups, the Muslims and the Marxists, are uniting to come against Israel, and one reason they're going to try to do this 
is Satan is using them to try to stop the Jewish people from coming to Christ, coming to Yeshua, and God fulfilling his promise. Satan wants to make God out to be a liar, so his kingdom wins. But he'll need that kingdom for a while in Babylon, but it will be destroyed. You know, I just want to say that that was one of the best summations. I mean, you just you went through a whole bunch of history, and it was phenomenal. Um, I want to direct people to your website, worldviewweekend.com, and check out the uh, uh, check out the various uh, videos that that uh, Brandon has. If you like what you saw tonight, uh, you've got you get look uh, the the rise of the the global rise of the Marxist and Muslim coalition in the last days. In in, in by the way. Uh, boy, I, I got like fifty thousand things going through my head here. The um, uh, the uh, uh, marriage between the Nazis and the Muslims, very well studied. I mean, I I understand that and uh, how Islam was weaponized at the hands of the Nazis, uh, among other things. But it, it it just puts everything together. You really connected a lot of dots, and and it's just so great. You know, you know, if this was a conference. Uh, or if this was an event, people would pay, you know, big, big dollars to see you speak and to hear what you've got to say. And I want to thank well, I you for that. I wish they would, but unfortunately, there's not many people you guys know. There's not many people anymore that want to know these things. Yeah. It's discouraging. I, I said that it gets so discouraged. I look at all the resources that Fox News and all these groups have and the religious right and all these politicians. And then there are groups like ours that are actually feeding people and training people and encouraging people and, and keeping them uh, up to date and edified, and we just we just all barely get by. It, it's unfortunate because not too many years ago, the American people there were enough of them that could think, but now today there's so few of them that are thinkers and want to learn. They just all they care is about their six pack and some sports and fishing. It's unfortunate, and that's why I'm always so thankful for my listeners, and I know you're thankful for your listeners because. Amen. They're a rare group of people, aren't they? Yeah, yeah exactly. They they yeah, are very much so. And and we, we we thank every day for the people who care enough to to turn off the television set and to tune in to broadcast and to hear people like yourself, an expert. I mean, this is tremendous. And, and well, I, just, just, I appreciate all the hard work you guys have done to build your audience, and then you try and share it with me. Uh, you know, it takes a long time to build the audience you've built. And it's taken a long time for me to build the following and the audience we have. And when we share that with a guest, I sometimes wonder, do they realize how hard we've had to work to build this? And then we share it with them. So let me just say, I know how long and hard you've worked to build your audience, and I thank you for sharing your audience with me tonight. Well, uh, well thank you, and it's our it's our privilege to have you. And I know our audience, uh, we're very protective of our audience. Our audience certainly is uh, uh, very, very, very well off now. I mean, much better off. Uh, having you come on and explain the things that you have, and what an education, and what a blessing to have you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Brandon House, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We covered a lot of ground. Okay. What's that? I need to get you guys on my program. I told you that. Let's do it. Absolutely. Send me some topics we can talk about. Well, well, we uh, can. We will. Yeah, we'll okay. have to touch base with you uh, either tomorrow or, or Monday, and we'll we'll figure it out. Please do, Brandon. Thank you so much. We're at the end of the program. You did it, thank man. You. Yeah, thank what, what a what a what a great what a great show. Thank you, brother. Talk to thank you soon. You. All right, folks. That was Brandon House. Uh, his his website worldviewweekend.com worldviewweekend.com you, you want a great resource I mean just the videos section that he's got there and of course his books including the book he mentioned The Coming Religious Reich what a tremendous read that is 
I have that in my library, and, and it's just it's phenomenal. So uh, we're very fortunate, Joe, to have him. Absolutely. Um, tomorrow, yes. James Perloff. This is going to be, be the, people folks remember the Pearl in. Harbor. We had a, yeah. the author on who talked about the cables, uh, the, the cables, the, the foreknowledge of the U.S. Uh, when it pertained to Pearl Harbor and all the um, inconsistencies of the government story of how this happened. Uh, well, he's going to come back on tomorrow to talk about uh, a number of, of different things from, you know, shadow government uh, to deep state. Uh, yeah, what's going on and, and yeah. what he expects to see uh, from the shadow government through the Trump presidency thank you for joining us it's great to be back i had a great time tonight and we will see you tomorrow 